It is Monday, the 5th of September, and in today's episode, once again, we have a sombre tale for you um, of a jab-injured case that is possibly one of the most shocking cases that we've spoken about to date. So, um, everyone, this is going to be a very, very, uh, not just interesting, but intriguing and um, revealing episode uh, that will really, really highlight some of the malfeasance that is going on in our hospital system and um, indeed right throughout our governance. Um, as I've said many times, the government has broken its social contract with us and uh, we must push back against this. Um, so thank you for joining us, everyone. Strap yourselves in. This is going to be an incredible one. Um, as always, I have Dr. Mark Lofts with me, co-hosting today. Welcome to the show, Mark. Thank you, Andrew. It's a great privilege. Thank you. And Kari, thank you for being with us today. Um, up front, uh, I think you're very brave and I really appreciate you telling your story. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for having me. Welcome to the show, Kari. So... Where shall we start, Carrie? I think I'd like to start by saying that um, you're a 39-year-old lady yep. that's had, um, you have had some prior medical history, but nothing that's really particularly relevant to, to what's happening to you now. No. Is that a, a good way of putting it? Um, why don't we start uh, at the very beginning of just telling everyone a little bit what, about, about those past medical histories because it's very relevant in the story when we start getting on later on into the sorts of things that the medical staff have been saying to you. Okay. Okay, so w why don't you give us a quick rundown of what you were experiencing prior to taking the jab in 2020? So prior to this, I've been um, diagnosed with um, anaphylaxis to opioids, um, hypothyroidism. Um, I've had a gastric sleeve for obesity and I've had um, recurrent miscarriage as well. Right. Okay. Uh, so everyone just hold that one in your memory banks for just a little bit. This is. Would you like to say something else? Um, I should also mention I've suffered with um, mental illness since 15 as well. Right. And I'll uh, point out that it was not psychosis. Right. And um, this is all very relevant, everyone, because as we, um, we're always saying, these issues are going to play a role in the story as we progress through the, the session today. So um, righto then, Carrie. When did you take your first jab what was it? Because I think I just said 2020 then, but it was indeed in 2021. Yeah. Um, around the 5th of June was when you had your first jab. And what, what was it that you took? Yes, that's correct. It was 5th of June, 2021. Um, and it was the Pfizer. The Pfizer jab. And did you have any issues after that one? Um, had a bit of a sore arm and a headache for a few hours. Mm -hmm. And I just very, very tired. Um, basically just slept it off for the rest of the day and, and that was, that was basically it. Right. So that's a pretty common story. A lot of people mm. had those sort of symptoms. Um, so, uh, as you moved over through the next few weeks, you weren't really experiencing any side effects, right? Just tiredness. Just tired, regular tiredness. Yeah. yeah like, um, exhaustion. 
Right. And it was three weeks that you waited in between shots. Is that yeah. right? So you had that those sort of tiredness symptoms for the entire time? Yep. Um, Mark, would you relate that to anything? Is there... Uh, yes, I'd be a bit suspicious. I mean, if you have a jab, you can often have a few side effects for one day, but not to have continuous tiredness. Mm. I'd be getting suspicious. If it was me, I wouldn't have had the second one. Really? Yeah, you'd be what, wondering what, what was going on. Right. What, can you expand on that just a little bit? Uh, all I can say is that a person, once they have a little bit of tiredness or a bit of pain when they have the flu shot, it's something that should go away within 24 hours and mm. uh, that you would continuously feel tired for another few weeks where you could easily put it down to something else. But uh, now we know what we do about these COVID jabs and if people were more aware of it, they'd stand up and not get the second shot. Absolutely. Carrie, did that seem a little odd to you that you continued to suffer those symptoms for three weeks? It was a little bit, but um, with the hypothyroidism, I get tired very easily anyway. Um, I also get cold, but um, I was just abnormally tired. Like I just wanted to sleep a lot. Mm. And I did have a two-year-old running around me as well at the time, so... Well, that can that can count for a fair fair whack of that. I can parental sure. exhaustion. Yes, <laughs> well, a two year old's a lot of work, isn't it? Mm. Um, so it, let's move then to when this story really begins with your second shot. Mm-hmm. Again, another Pfizer shot. Yes, it was. And I think this takes us to around the thirtieth of June in twenty twenty one. Yes, that's correct. Right. What happened next? Um. I got the same thing, sore arm, bit of a headache, um, went home. I thought, oh, I'll just take some Panadol and slept it off. Um, was very tired again and then everything just seemed to go away and then four days later I had massive chest pain, heart palpitations and um, I got my husband to take me to the emergency department. Is, is that just because you were you were feeling these chest pains and you just knew that there was something deeply wrong? Yeah. Um, tell me, you've got a little bit of a medical background as a paramedic, is that right? Yes, I used to be a volunteer paramedics for St John and also a mine site medic and ESO. Okay, so you you are quite familiar with some of these symptoms that yeah. you are you're experiencing. So that's how you knew that you needed to go to, to yeah, the hospital? I basically put the two and two together and thought I was actually having a heart attack um, because at the time when I was when I was, um, when I I was was on my way to hospital, my arm went, my left arm went completely numb. I had the shoulder tip pain, the chest pain got worse even after taking aspirin. Um, I, even, I even took Panadol and Nurofen together trying to, relieve something and right. and when we got to hospital it was it was unbearable by the time you'd made it to hospital yeah. the heart pain the chest pains yep. were unbearable um, another real common situation isn't it mark exactly i mean when you think of chest pain you always think of ruling out heart disease first of all right kari did uh, when you got to hospital what were the doctors saying to you Basically, they told me I'd had a panic attack and because they saw I had mental illness on my um, medical file, Mm. they asked me had I taken my anxiety medication that morning because I usually take quetiapin first thing in the morning 
is just a bit of a background anxiety, um, mm-hmm. social general anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, I take that every day. And how long have you been on that for? I've been on that since 2020. Right. Um, and basically, they they told me to take my medication, and then they discharged me home. Um, that seems very odd. Would Mark? Yeah. Would chest pains? Would a patient presenting to the hospital with chest pains? be normally told that they were having anxiety? No, not when they were having uh, numbness in their left arm, etc. Even if your family doesn't have a history of heart disease, you'd immediately want to do an ECG and you'd want to examine the person to see if they were having a heart attack. And now, because we know she's just had these two jabs, you'd immediately start thinking that. You'd look for the D-dimers to look for coagulation mm. because that's the first thing you'd think of uh, heart disease from a blood disorder, from impaired coagulation. Mm, and Kari? They didn't do any of that. There was none of that? <laughs> no. What kind of uh, consultation did you get? How would you describe it? Like did anyone actually examine um, you? All they did was they put me onto a vitals machine. Um, my blood pressure was way through the roof. It was very high um, and they basically – said to me, you know, you need to calm down and, and you're panicking, you know, um, and I asked them if it was vaccine-related because I told them I just had it. Mm. And they were like, no, no, the vaccines don't cause this. And and they said, no, it's just your anxiety after having medications and it's safe and effective. You just got the whole spiel. And you, you just got the whole code word, yeah. code-worded code spiel yep. that now we now know goes on right throughout Australia in every state, at every hospital. Generally speaking, that seems like it's a talking point that's been put out. We don't have the proof of that. But it's fascinating, isn't it, Mark, that uh, the code words that are used uh, are very, very aligned everywhere we go. Everyone we talk to, everyone's had it said to them that you're having a perfectly normal adverse reaction. That's the thing. In some people who've had chest pain, I am told that they have been told that the chest pain is actually a sign that the vaccine is working. I don't know if you experienced that. Yes, I did get told that on one occasion. As a person that has a bit of um, medical uh, uh, work history, did that seem strange to you? Yes. And were you saying to them, listen, I've got, well, they would have known that you've had a history of working as a paramedic. Yes, they do know that. They did know that. And so were they dismissing everything that you were telling them? Every single thing I was dismissing. And at one point the doctors even walked out of the room and talked amongst themselves in the hallway and then my discharge papers were written up and I was sent home. With chest pains? Yes. And other symptoms? Yep. Um, no, no. Did anyone ever sit with you and do a proper examination or they no. just hook you in and hooked you up to this machine and then went, it's all in your head? Yep. They didn't even do an ECG at that point or a chest x-ray. Gee, um, that, that is amazing because you would expect that they want to rule out heart disease. They would send her out of the hospital, have her have a heart attack and come back as a death on arrival, etc., and try to resuscitate her. See, the problem is that the doctors are being told that the vaccine doesn't cause problems and that anyone who does have problems, chest pain, are being treated as uh, vexatious litigants or just a nuisance and they 
they're regularly misdiagnosing them because the hospital doesn't get any money for treating vaccine injuries and so the doctors are being forced to edit the question out and not listen to what the patient is telling them. And we've got so much evidence of that now, don't we? Mm. Um, Kari, as someone who's got this background experience, um, when you're in the hospital being told that it's all in your head and that you need to just take a Panadol and go home, how did that make you feel? I mean, here you are, you've got these chest pains and all these other things going on and they're telling you to stop overreacting. I felt like straight away I was being medically gaslighted. Um, I mean, as a, as a paramedic, I've seen people with heart attacks and strokes and these symptoms were exactly that. Mm. Yeah. And I just felt like I was not being taken seriously. Like, like I was imagining my symptoms. And was your husband with you at the time? Yes, he was, but he wasn't allowed in because of their COVID, um, the the COVID protocols oh, and mandates and lockdowns oh, and all that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No consideration for the human element, is there? No. Um, mm. And what really stumped me, Andrew, is when they took me in because I had respiratory complaint, they put me in a critical care ward and I was put in with a whole heap of other positive COVID patients from a nursing home. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it, when you look at the the actual occurrences of these sort of things. Um, I thought the whole point was to keep people from contracting COVID and yet in so many situations we find that the medical professionals spread it. Yeah. Do exactly the wrong thing, taking a person who hasn't got COVID as opposed to a COVID jab and then going sticking this person in a COVID ward. I don't understand the rationale there. I just suppose they didn't have enough beds. That seems to be the general excuse apart from not having enough staff. Of course, 20% of the staff have walked out because they've refused to get the jab or the repeated jabs because they know what it will lead to. Yeah, we all know the truth, don't we? Mm. Um, If they had not interrupted with the um, normal daily lives of people, um, if they hadn't gone and uh, stuck healthy people into quarantine, first time, an an unprecedented move, Yeah, uh, you know, we we would have just been able to move on and, and deal with all this in a normal manner. But now we've got people like myself um, I guess like yourself, we've all lost our jobs or we can't work still. Generally mm. speaking, we can't. Yeah. I can't work in my profession, although I have been, I have received a phone call. Uh, however, um, I don't know, would I really want to trust, trust the company that I used to work for? I, I don't think so because I've got to be honest with you. Um, whilst they're saying now that you can go to work and it's not, the, the vaccine's not mandated, my question is for how long? Yeah. Um, what do we go and we can we, we can go back to work now and we're coming into summer here in Australia. Uh, and then what happens when we get we start coming into winter next year? Oh, you've got to have your COVID shot. Mm. Um, does that mean that I start becoming um, uh, what's the word intimidated uh, as a as a work an unvaxxed worker? Am, am I going to be coerced and have to go through all of this again? only to have to leave my job? That's an unanswered question right now and that's an answer that we need, that's a question that we need answers for ASAP. Thank you, Mr Mark McGowan. You're in Western Australia, everyone. As as a former paramedic, we we had to have the flu shot every year. 
to mm-hmm. stay in our job, whether we liked it or not. We had to have the flu shot. Which uh, is ridiculous for younger uh, people because flu, flu vaccines are of doubtful value, especially in older people, because when they use them in nursing homes, you get a whole crop of people dying straight after it. Well, well Mark, the thing that I've never been able to get my head around is that we know that the flu virus mutates every year. So mm. you you cannot use a vaccine, a traditional vaccine. I'm just going to not not expand on that. I'm just going to say a traditional vaccine um, cannot protect you against the, the New Year's flu. That's right. Exactly right. Because there are a whole lot of different viruses and even bacterial infections that will give you what otherwise looks like the flu. Mm. And so there's no way you can arm yourself against all of them. Though there are certain medications like ivermectin which help you to recover earlier. But the health department is dead against that substance and is trying to make it illegal. Um, Curry, is this something you're familiar with? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, with the Northern Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere strains, every time before we get the flu season here, they take the current strains circling around the Northern Hemisphere and they create a vaccine. And then by the time our flu season comes, we get that strain in the vaccine. Mm. But it doesn't work. Mm. Uh I'm sorry, but it sounds like a bit of a conspiracy theory to me. Uh, <laughs> yes. It's yeah, a very real conspiracy. But a very real one. I um, know they've been coming true, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing. It's no longer a theory. It's, it is a conspiracy indeed. That's right. And I've got to warn here that the mainstream media loves conspiracies. They love telling you it's bunk, but they make up their own conspiracies, mix them with genuine conspiracies so they can leave the reader utterly confused. And that's a deliberate ploy of the elites that we have to be aware of all the time. Mm. Uh, Kari, does it surprise you that one of the real catch calls today is the media is the virus? Yes, I've I've read about this numerous um, articles mm. and that and, and on social media and I do believe it. Mm. They are, they're the virus. Uh, we can't trust the mainstream media and we can't trust our government. They have broken their social contract with us and that's that. Uh, how they repair that, I don't know, but um, I think that um, what we're going to start seeing, and indeed we're already starting to see it, that people in their droves are walking away from these existing systems and they're looking for alternatives. And uh, I just don't know how that's going to end up, but I'll guarantee you it's not going to end up with people taking any notice of the traditional mainstream media or people like Mark McGowan here in Western Australia, particularly when he calls his constituents losers, morons and dropkicks and many other things. Um, But we'll get back into that later. There's lots to talk about. So um, you've had this, you've ended up in hospital with all these heart problems um, and you've been given some Panadol and told that you stop panicking and go home. What happened next? How long did this continue to last when you got home? And then what Um, happened next? My chest pain went for a good few days um, once I got home. And I thought, okay, if the hospital's not going to take me seriously, I'll treat myself. So straight away, I went to my medicine cabinet. I've always got aspirin. Um, I took aspirin during pregnancy um, for circulatory issues. And I thought right away... Um, we usually we usually treat people in in with heart conditions in an ambulance. We give them three hundred milligrams of aspirin. So that yep. was the first thing I did, um, and then I took um, Panadol for the for the chest pain. 
Um, I also took ibuprofen for inflammation because I thought in case I've got a virus or something set this off, I'll take some ibuprofen. Yeah. Um, and then um, I had a lot of trouble breathing as well. My chest was tight like somebody was sitting on it and the only way I could go to sleep that night was to sleep sitting upright in bed. And um, I actually had a blood pressure cuff on as well and my blood pressure was really high for days on end. Um, I mean that, that side of it shocks me as well, um, that they would allow you to go home with such high blood pressure. That's right. Did uh, the, the question begs right now, did anyone from the hospital make a follow-up phone call with you or did you have any contact? No one cared. No. No. Um, they told me to go and go and get checked out by my GP if I was still feeling like that in a few days. Right. Mark, I just want to go back one step. The course of action that Kari took, is that generally speaking the sort of thing that that you should do or is there something that you would recommend other people who are potentially going to go through this or or indeed are going through this? Is there something else they should be doing? Well, I'd have said that the choice of aspirin and ibuprofen was a good choice there. Great. But the problem is that as she can herself can tell, it's not actually curing the problem since she's got a diastolic blood pressure well over 100 and that's just not right for a young person to continuously have that, especially when associated with chest pain. Yeah, and this is one of the reasons why I ask, uh, what kind of examination did you get? Well, we now know you didn't get any examination and they've just literally literally sent you home to suffer. Yeah. So what happened? You That lasted for four days. Yeah, yeah. And then what was next? What came next for you? Oh, um, heart palpitations constantly. Um, these would just come and go to be like a little butterfly flying in there and you'd get a little bit woozy like vertigo. Um, you'd feel very lightheaded and sometimes you'd feel like you're falling. You'd get that falling sensation. Right. So I'd just have to sit down and just take a few deep breaths, try and calm down and I thought, okay, if it is anxiety, I'll try and meditate and try and calm myself. And that wasn't even working. Like these things would just keep going. And there was a few times where I had up to 20 in one day, heart palpitations. And I was And the sensation of vertigo. Yeah. And that happens every time. Every time I get one, I feel like I'm going to fall over. Uh, Mark, what would you put that down to? Can you expand on that? What, uh, why the vertigo? Yes, I'd say that she's getting the vertigo because the uh, heart rate has become very variable. It's not always pumping normally because of the palpitations and also because she's got this raised D-dimer level mm. indicating that there is blood clotting but the uh, clots are also being dissolved. But the problem is that this is causing the whole circulatory system to behave erratically. So no wonder she's some, sometimes feeling very lightheaded because yeah. uh, her circulatory system has been basically damaged by this jab which has caused the... Uh, blood to become hypercoagulable and the body is trying to deal with it and uh, it's just leading her to just a general malaise which is she'll describe as leading to uh, a further crisis. Mm. So Kari, what we're, we're now in uh, March of 2021 and you continue to experience these symptoms for the, the yeah. entire month or how many weeks did this go on for? Because oh. I've got a feeling you're going to tell me that it's still going on. Um, 
it was weeks like, and months like it just um some days it, it would be worse than others the palpitations would cause chest pain and the chest pain would would last sometimes hours or days mm. um then i'd get um i'd get the headaches like the migraines like someone had hit me on the back of the head and and it was it'd affect my vision and everything and i'd be out for days in bed with a migraine and keep in mind i had to try and look after my son at this time because my husband works away so if you know how full-on kids are you can't exactly lay in bed all day long and you know hope you're going to get better when you've got a child to deal with mm. um and i i found some days were harder than others like i was i was on the floor doing yoga with him one morning because I do I do an hour yoga every morning and meditation and he does it with me and um, I was just sitting there doing a yoga pose not doing anything strenuous and my heart went through the roof and um, I put my pulse oximeter on it and um, it was it was up to 180 beats a minute just from zero to to like a Ferrari speed and it took ages to come down. Mm. Um, and there was nothing I could do about it. I couldn't get it down with any medication or anything. Um, there was no reason for it to just suddenly skyrocket. And the level of pain from that was so intense. Like it, it was like a crushing pain. I'm going to assume that there'd be quite a bit of psychological panic there as well. When this suddenly comes on, I mean, I've had it mm. only once in my life. I've had an experience of a very high heart, heart rate, um, and uh, I was in agony yeah. Uh, and it went on all night long. And I actually, because I'd had never experienced it before, I actually thought that it was more to do with my gut and that I was um, very nauseous. But there was just a slight difference, but, but not having experiences, I couldn't, I couldn't tell. Um, so I was feeling quite uh, panicked is the right word for it because it was yeah it, it is was, yeah yeah and it's and it's hard to stay calm when you've got when you're young and you've got a heart condition you don't think things like this are going to happen to me you know you think mm. oh this happens to older people this That's happens right. to people that are really highly stressed or whatever you know um but to be so young with a family of no history of heart conditions to suddenly just develop something overnight mm. And then and then go downhill rapidly um, over over the next few months. The, the level of heart, chest pain, um, like numbness in the arm, is all classic heart attack symptoms. Um, and and not only that, the exhaustion from it, um, because your heart is working so hard. Yeah, I was just constantly exhausted, and and I felt like it was like chronic fatigue, and I've never had that, but I have. I do know people that suffer from it and, and I, f I feel like an old lady in a young person's body. Mm. Um, Mark, I've got to ask, for people who are listening to this that are thinking to themselves, wow, I've experienced that, uh, what should you do at this point in time? Well, I'd say it needs to be uh, fully investigated by cardiologists or neurologists to see what's going on. But uh, it's because of the fact that so many people have been jabbed, they're starting to feel some of the symptoms and uh, problems that carriers feeling. But you do have to shop around for a GP, a doctor who is going to take some notice of you because they are being instructed not to diagnose mm. these conditions as being due to vaccine injuries in young people. 
another one of the points that we have a lot of experience here on the Eight News Show now. Um, we've um, spoken to many people that uh, have experienced the exact same thing that you are experiencing with the healthcare system. Um, Kari, at this point in time, I'm going to assume you went back to your doctor. Went back to my GP, yes, I did. And right. um, she still refused that it was a vax injury. She did not believe it. She said, you know, maybe you're just panicking and overreacting. And instead she increased my anxiety medication. Wow. Mm. What did you think at that? Did you increase your medication or did you no. just... Yeah, you just continued on the same yep. course. Yep. Um, Got to ask really quickly, Mark, do you think, um, does these, do these anxiety pills have anything to do with the issue? Uh, I think not really. They just try to make people a bit calmer. They've got a whole lot of new anti-anxiety medications, but really it's uh, the GP's excuse to hide behind something. If you make the patient a bit quieter, then perhaps the patient won't feel so bad. It's not really investigating the underlying issue. Yeah, it's more of an issue of um, be quiet and go home and stop annoying me. Um, Fascinating um, lack of compassion, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. And in fact, I I even went a couple of days where I thought I'm going to not take my anxiety medication today because I researched up and it does cause heart palpitations but not to this extent. Right. And not chest pain. So have you layered, sorry, layered, lowered that dosage? I actually stopped taking it and, and the quetiapin you can stop taking suddenly. Um, and I was only on a 25 milligram dose. So these are, these pills that you're taking aren't serotonin, ser, serotonin reuptake inhibitors, are they? Uh, I don't know about that because uh, I've been no. out of it okay. for many years. No, and uh they keep putting them, issuing them under different trade names. Right. I ask that because yeah. with most of them, you can't just stop taking them. It yeah. can cause a psychotic episode. Yeah, my other ones I can't, but these ones, these right. ones I can go days. They're a PRN. Right. Um, which means I can take them as needed. Right. Um, so Is that the only thing you're taking for this? Oh, no, I have a box on the fridge. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay, we can talk about that later. That's um. Uh, uh, so, so basically I decided, okay, I'll stop taking this anxiety medication and see if these heart palpitations stop or if this might be upsetting things. Mm. And I thought I'll, I'll go for a good couple of days. And I went for four days not taking that medication mm. and I didn't notice any difference. The heart palpitations actually got worse. They got stronger and harder. The chest pain at times got unbearable. It was putting me in tears. And um, I even um, stopped taking my nightly medication. I take olanzapine to go to sleep. Um, That's because I have night terrors. Mm -hmm. And I had um, childbirth trauma when my my son was born. So I I take a lot of antipsychotics. And I even stopped taking that as well because I believe that that could be triggering things off. And I was just trying to do everything from a perspective where um, Keep going. Um, where I thought, what if these medications are upsetting it and making it worse? And so I decided, okay, I'll just cut off the medications that are my PRNs and just stick to my normal antidepressants. And um, I didn't notice any difference. In fact, things got started to get worse. Right. So you've gotten to a point in time where you've thought, I need to start trying to 
diagnose myself. Yeah. Because you weren't getting any kind of attention from your doctor whatsoever. Yes. Uh, gosh, that would make me feel really abandoned. I did Were feel abandoned, feel, you, especially by my GP who's known me for four years as well and they know my history. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Mark, any comment on that? Yes, I think it's a very rocky period during that time. I mean, before you had the next or the last, the third dose, that Novavax, you'd been through a problem with uh, uh, a collapse then. They were looking for you for having porphyria and you're having menstruation problems, which required a DNC. And then uh, in early March, you mentioned they were wondering whether you had a uh, pulmonary embolus. And yeah. they also noticed in the process you had raised liver function tests, yep. which is why they were looking for the porphyria. So there's a complicated lot of things that can't be dealt with by a GP. But I noticed that you had the Novavax on the 31st of March, not long after they were looking for these pulmonary emboli. Yep. So they were still forcing the dose on you. Yes. You might just try and speak into your mic. Thank you. Um, right. So what happened next, Kari? Uh, from where? <laughs> well, you've, you've gone to the oh. GP with these elevated um, levels and um, the GP's ignored you and sent you home. Yeah. Um, but the, the symptoms continued and you've started to try and diagnose yourself. Uh, what, what went on after um. that? So basically I um I just kept battling on. Um I tried to get I tried to get an exemption from the booster um which was not successful. My GP did not want to hear about it. In fact, my GP surgery actually had a sign on the door saying no vaccine exemptions will be supplied here. Uh, 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 sorry, say that again at your your at GP. My GP. That's yeah. right. Oh, they're, my gosh. They're so frightened, the GPs, because when they do issue a proper vaccine exemption, they are criticised by the APRA, A-H-P-R-A, and they're told that if they do that again, they will be deregistered or brought up before a HIPRA, which basically means they will be deregistered if they do it for a third time. And and that's what my GP said. She brought up APRA as well with the deregistration and the investigations and suspension it's fascinating, isn't it, Mark? Uh, how does this happen? Well, it, this is not something that's ever happened in the past that uh, the uh, Health Professionals Regulatory Authority can actually dictate to doctors what to give and what to do. This is because the doctors are finding that these jabs are very damaging and they are being censored and not allowed to report the truth. This is unprecedented in the world, not just in the Western world, but is unprecedented in all of society. It is criminal. And unfortunately, the criminality extends to other groups like the legal profession. Yeah. Okay, Kerry, so um, you were trying to get this exemption for taking the booster and you were just rejected out of hand. Yeah, that's correct. Right. So w what happened next? You went home and just thought, I need to reassess what's going on here and possibly see another doctor or no? Um, yeah, I ended up booking in with a different GP yep. at the same clinic um, and I got the same spiel pretty much that nearly every GP at that clinic was not going to give me an exemption. Um, and then she suggested going to see a cardiologist to get an exemption from them and that was the first time a cardiologist had been mentioned. Right. So they clearly understood that you were having issues with your heart, but 
did they literally continue down the line that this was all in your head and it was more to do with anxiety than not? And that, so that's all that they would say to you? Yes, they, they kept playing on the mental illness card. Right. And so then they've just out of the blue said, well, you can go to a cardiologist. Yeah. Uh, were you thinking to yourself, that's odd? I thought it was very odd. Um, and and I did think, okay, they, they're going to play with my mental illness because it had affected me during lockdown. Yeah. Um, the lockdown had made me very depressed. Mm. Um, it virtually cut off my social circle overnight with my son, like – um, we had to stop childcare and and we couldn't go to the parks, which was that was our outlet for getting out of the house. You know, yeah. we'd, we'd go to the park, we'd take the dog for a walk, and we had to stop all of that. And and I discussed with her about my mental health getting worse, and she would just keep throwing it back in my face. What do you mean? What was she saying to you? Um, well, basically, she was just she was always going on about my anxiety levels being too high. Um, like she would do the, the K10 and, and the, um, the Edinburgh postnatal depression scores and they would always be through the roof. Um, so can you explain that a little bit more? Or did you want to jump uh, in here, Mark? Yes, what, what are we talking about? These um, Edinburgh post, um, what's it, postnatal depression. depression scores, these things are measures. They're supposed to be objective measures of what's wrong with the patient. But because the patient has to be questioned and the GP has to examine the patient, it's basically the GP's doing it to try to hide what's really going on since we have the fact that she's no longer postnatal, I mean, her child then was only two years old, so mm. it's gotten past that period, and the GP doesn't really know what to do. So they're just fishing for time, as far as I can tell. Basically, she's got to go off to someone who understands cardiology and uh, investigate her heart-wise. Okay, so Carrie, at this point you're given given a referral to, yes. to a cardiologist um, what date roughly, when are we talking about in 2021? Uh, I was given the referral to see, I had to get a halter monitor, the 24-hour halter monitor put on. And I also got a referral for the echo, uh, um, and, uh, the echo, echocardiogram, I think it is, the ultrasound on the, on the chest. On the heart, that's on right. On the heart. Okay, so who conducted this testing? Um, the WA Cardiology. And it took about five months to get in there. Wow. So here you are with serious heart issues yep. and it took five months. That's a lady with a baby taking five months to get in. In the old days, people would, could get in uh, pretty well instantly, but because of all the other people who were sick, that's why it's taken so long. Mm. Um, it's just incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I've got to ask at this point, how many times did you had – uh, blood work done. I'm, I'm I'm assuming you've had it several times by this point. Once for my thyroid and also since you had the first jab. Yeah, yeah. They didn't even do it at the hospital. Uh, Mark, does that seem a little odd to you? From my experience, that seems odd. That's right. It, I would have thought they'd have uh, aut automatically ordered thyroid and other function tests in view of her previous history. Mm. But uh, usually, you can do these things very cheaply now. You've got these. 
various um, pathology tests. It'll do 80 or 160 different uh, measurements all at once. I thought they would have done that because it was very clear to the GP, the fact that he referred you to a cardiologist, that he was starting to realise something, or she was starting to realise that something very severe. Well, it sounds like it, doesn't it? Um, Carrie, I've really got to ask you, just going back to your first hospital visit when you'd had that, the four days after you'd had the second jab, it, it surprises me that they didn't do any blood work then. No, no D-dimers, no troponins, nothing. Just incredible. Not even an ECG. It shocked me. They were just so quick to blow it off as a panic attack. Yeah, it, yeah. You, I mean, you've got experience in this, so you know roughly what to expect. I mean, yeah. you're not a doctor, but you know roughly what's going on and certainly you'd know far better than I would or mm. some other common person off the street. And did you ask them why they weren't doing blood work? I did. And they would just walk out of the room and ignore me. Just simply ignore you? No, ignore me like I wasn't Not even, even respond, there. not yeah. even respond to you? Yep. Oh my gosh, Mark! Is that the kind of normal behaviour of a of a you know hospital staff? Not at all. Traditionally, they would have not done that sort of thing at all. I mean, they have been bullied from above to act like that towards ordinary patients. But of course, doctors are also depressed because there's uh, not enough staff to help them out there, and they're overloaded with uh, work, so they can't see patients for another seven or eight months on waiting list. The patient could have died since then. So basically what's happened to the hospitals is they've become crisis management centres mm. and we cannot treat patients properly. Now you've got things like telehealth where the doctor takes a history from a patient and uh, applies a diagnosis and prescription over the uh, internet, as it were. You're not getting proper patient treatment. You need to be able to physically touch the patient and examine them. This is uh, a real second Great medicine that's being introduced. It really is, and um, you know uh, we've we've talked about this before on the show that um, one of the big risks is, is that we we have um, a, a medical um, or a healthcare system that's wearing out. Yeah. Uh, because there's so many very healthy, very capable, um, experienced workers mm. that aren't allowed back in the hospitals. That's right. Uh, they aren't allowed to work anymore. Um, and I mean, indeed, it's fair to say that the majority of those people are probably the more critical thinking individuals, um, probably the more experienced, um, reliable staff, Mm. and they've just gone and gotten rid of them all. Yes. Yeah. Now, um, this this raises another interesting question. In the time since uh, uh, when we're talking the 5th of June, you had your second shot where all of the issues began for you, up until now, now we haven't talked about all your hospital visits yet. No. <laughs> but I, I just raise this because it's something that's on my mind right now. Um, have you seen the level of service since those early days in 2021 over the course of the next 12 months? Have you seen the level of service drop? Yes. It's now got to the point where um, the healthcare system isn't what it used to be. It has changed. Mm. You basically cannot trust anything the doctors say anymore. Um, you really I mean, can't, can that's, you? That's from my perspective after what I've gone through. Mm. Um, like you, you're supposed to be able to trust your doctors with your health, with your life, and 
And when they're blowing you off all the time, how are you supposed to trust them? Absolutely. I know that um, I don't trust doctors anymore. I mean, look, it's different if um, I break my arm and they go and set the arm and all that mm. sort of thing. But when it comes to a, like a medical diagnosis, I've got to be honest, um, I'll be asking myself some very hard and serious questions before I enter into their domain mm. because – to me, that's frightening. Um, if, if you're if you're ill and you've got something wrong with you, the last thing you need to do is be frightened. Yeah. By trying to seek help. Yes. That's right. Especially when they want to give you a jab, and that's the first question they ask. Whatever you've come in with. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, and so, but I think that's going to be a story that will develop further into the future. So, Kari, let's get back onto the timeline of what's going on with you. Uh, you, you're at, you've now made a visit to the cardiologist. Um, you, you've had your first ever no, blood work. No, I didn't work. get to the cardiologist then. I, um, that was the following year I couldn't get in, but I did get the halter monitor done. Okay, so um, you went to do this testing and then you couldn't get into the cardiologist for five months, yeah. as you were saying. Yeah. As a, as a, in as January a, I got in. January of 2022. 2022 was when I got into the cardiologist. Okay. Um, before we move on to that, I think it's. I think it sounds to me like there's a fair bit more to the story during that five months. So, yeah. you, after you'd done that line of testing, um, what happened? Next? Where where um, where to next? Because uh, so in in that time, um, my husband and I we were also trying to conceive a second child. Mm. Um, we we'd already previously had a natural conception in um, 2020 with our son um, and despite despite the recurrent miscarriage, I was told, you know, you might need some supplementation, ovulation tracking, that sort of thing. So we did an ovulation tracking and that is basically where they track your menstrual cycle and they do blood tests to track your hormones. It was during that, um, that consult and those pathology tests when they came back, they noticed that my AMH level, which is anti-malarian hormone, which is for your, your eggs and your ovaries, it mm. had dropped dramatically. Um, it had gone from 9.6 to 5.3 in only three months. And that was a dramatic drop. It actually alerted our fertility specialists that something was going on. The next one was that my thyroid had gone out of whack big time. It had gone up to 7.4, whereas we got it down to uh, 2.6. 2. Um, can we, can, Mark, can you jump in here? What, what does that mean yeah, so with it, the thyroid? Well, with the thyroid, it means that uh, things are going wrong with the thyroid, that they haven't either given her enough medication or her liver is malfunctioning and that the medication can actually be overshooting because there's not enough uh, thyroid binding protein to hold what's going on. Uh, in terms of the thyroid hormone. And also you've got this menstrual problem and she's a bit young to have uh, menopause yeah. at the moment. But uh, because of autoimmune disease, when you have these autoimmune disease, which is Judy Wildman found 
are due to all the vaccines people have had. Once you have one of these autoimmune diseases like the hypothyroidism, you're very likely to get another one. And because of her complicated history and plus these jabs, I'm not surprised that her fertility has come out of whack. I'm not an obstetrician gynaecologist, mm. so I'm not very familiar with the anti-malarian yeah. hormone, so I can't really comment on those details. But clearly it's going to make getting pregnant much harder. Yeah, it clearly. has to be over a 10 to, to make pregnancy more more easier. What was, the, what was the response of your doctors at this stage? Well, they also noticed that my body had stopped producing progesterone. And as you as you know that you need progesterone to fall pregnant and well, I didn't to be know able that. to ovulate. Right. Um, if you've got no progesterone, pregnancy's not going to happen. And that's what's happened. Basically my body just suddenly stopped producing it. And that only happens when you're going through menopause. So I had all the symptoms of menopause, but I wasn't actually going through it. Um, so what they told me was let's do a cycle where we try an ovulation induction. So we tried that in the October. What does that mean? How do you do that? So that's where you have all the needles in the tummy. Um, basically, you have you have um, progesterone injections in your tummy, oh, okay. gondotrophin, um, which is a hormone that it simulates pregnancy and it primes your uterus and your endometrium um, endometrium lining ready to support a pregnancy. Then, oh. then when you do a um, they do an internal ultrasound to look at your ovaries to see if your ovaries have produced enough follicles, which is your eggs. Once there's mm. enough follicles, then they will tell you to do a trigger shot. That trigger shot or booster shot, that one is the one that triggers ovulation. And then from there, you have the dreaded two-week wait to find out if you're pregnant. And it, mm. you do timed intercourse and everything as well. In that time, they do blood tests to see what your hormones are doing. And basically my body wasn't doing anything. Um, just not reacting to the... Not reacting and, at all. And I've just got to ask because I don't know, but um, Mark, is this sort of procedure fairly common? Uh, it is for people who are trying to get pregnant. Right. But so help me, after you've had two jabs like that, no wonder the body is not responding. The body is trying to deal with ill health induced mm. by having these two jabs. Yeah. And Kari, you were saying it's a you were dealing with a gynecologist at this stage. Yeah, for um, I had spotting and bleeding and and blood clots that had started. Um, oh, okay. So when did that begin? Is that during the time when you were so doing that started this during the time. manipulation? Yeah, um, it started just before, and I actually asked the clinic nurse, "Is this normal?" Um, and and she said, "Oh, she said maybe your body's a bit out of whack with the hormones." And she said, occasionally you can get spotting and that. But once I'd finished that ovulation induction and I then went on to have a normal period, which is what happens when you don't fall pregnant, you go mm. back to a period. Mm. I didn't have a normal period. It kept going and it went for months and it was it was soaking pads. It was really heavy, really painful. Um, it, it was, um, I had clots larger than a 50 cent piece coming out and I actually took a blood clot to the clinic and said, this is not normal. This fell out in the shower and it was the size of a dinner plate and they sent it to pathology and all it came back was, yes, it was just a standard blood clot. My body wasn't cleaning out properly. Wow. Yeah, um, this has become a fairly common story, hasn't it, yes. Mark, with um, women? Particularly, I know there's a lot of these stories coming out of the US. That's right. With, these, with the uh, blood clotting and bleeding, 
uh, people just get heavier periods than normal and uh, because she's trying to have fertilisation treatment after having these terrible jabs, it's put the body on a, a really uh, negative course because it... Now, yeah. I, I've heard so many of these stories where you even indeed have young children starting to have menstrual cycles that just go on continuously. Mm. Is yeah. this the same kind of condition for the young people? Uh, for the young who people who have the jab, yes. See, we don't know what's going on there with young people who are getting the jab and having bleeding from below. I mean, I mean, people under the age of eight, this yeah. is extremely abnormal. And also for menopausal women who've had bleeding as well, this is also extremely abnormal. But the mainstream media uh, do not want to discuss it, so it's hard to find a out about it and it's also hard to find what treatments can be done if this material can't get into medical journals to be investigated well that's the the indeed the most shocking part about it is the um just the the the, the secrecy around all of that's this. right yeah. so carrie what was your doctor saying to you about, um, about these issues that you're having well he wanted it investigated further so then he decided okay I'm going to send you to a gynecologist. So mm. I went to one of Perth's top gynecologists. He's very well known. And straight away, as soon as I told him I'd had the vaccine, he was just like, oh, my God, you're another one. And he was like, I am seeing so much of this in women at the moment. And when he read my pathology, he was almost in tears. He said, you're too young. And he said, this is what we see when women are going through IVF or menopause, or per perimenopause, sorry. Um, and he said to me, there's something going on with the bleeding. So he, he did, um, uh, I had a, I had a, um, a pap smear done and a colposcopy done to check for cancer and stuff like that. Um, they they this did was mention as part that, of an elimination of yeah. They mentioned the c word, which scared the hell out of me. Mm, um, and so they ruled that out. They all come back clear, and he said, "Right, we've got to find out the cause for this bleeding. It's ab abnormal." Mm. And he said, "Maybe you've got endometriosis or PCOS. It's been undiagnosed." Um, he even mentioned adenomyosis. And, and these are all gross that are in the uterus that can cause extreme pain, heavy bleeding, clots, all that sort of, all those symptoms. The, these are things that are known from prior to this COVID epidemic yes. type of thing, all this, um, these jab injury, the epidemic yeah. of jab injuries. Mm -hmm. So, um, Mark, did you want to jump in on any of that? What's um, um, Well, what, what's happened is that she may have a, uh, another pathology in the uterus, quite independently, ovarian cysts or something. But the problem is because she's had the jab, she had the fertility treatment, and the fact that she's getting continuous uterine bleeding, starting with the spotting and then heavy periods and bleeding between periods, as the gynecologist said, it's something that needs to be investigated and treated. Yeah. Yeah. Can I just ask the question about spotting? What is sure. that? Um, it's basically where you haven't got a full period, so you just you just spot every now and then. So oh, so you're a little bit of like blood. It's not like fully bleeding. Right, so it's just a little bit here and there sporadically? Yeah, right. yeah, and it can go for a couple of days. Um, okay, and, and that's a very unusual, um, um, what's the right word? For sometimes it? it's not unusual for other women, um, but for me with a regular cycle, mm. yes, it was unusual. Right. Extremely, and also the fact that, um, as my as my um, fertility specialist picked up, I'd gone from a thirty day cycle down to twenty six days. Mm. 
Wow. In the cycle tracking. And he said that is unusual. And he said it's going to make it very hard. And it's a very small window. It's only a two-day window to get pregnant from that. Right. Um, it's it, it it's basically half my chances for less than 50% to get pregnant. Wow. Now, did you get any kind of records from the gynecologist uh that that explained this or i mean Um, one of the big things the reason i ask that is that um there's so so often uh the 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 doctors we already know that they'll not only avoid talking about the issue or trying to steer you onto another path but they also won't give you the paperwork that you deserve to have or you're legally supposed to have have you had experiences like that yes yeah. What the, withholding documentation from you? Um, I didn't get any documentation. Um, instead, I got scheduled for a surgery straight up. From from this experience where with your gynecologist? Yeah, yeah. Um, I got scheduled for a laparoscopic gynecological surgery to see where the bleeding was coming from. Okay, so that's an investigative procedure. Yeah. Where they put a camera in there. Um, they did a hysteroscopy, um, and and also they did the. Um, the laparoscopy as well and they found a, a cyst on my ovary which was um about i think it was eight mils um and it was causing a lot of pain um and they looked for all these other symptoms and diseases and they couldn't find anything they even took biopsies in case there was um uterine cancer or something like that yeah and they just couldn't find anything these growths that are appearing on um, women's ovaries after these jabs is becoming a very familiar um, side effect or, or mm. yeah cysts on the ovaries cysts. is actually quite common um there's a lot of women out there that suffer with PCOS, it's quite mm. a debilitating um, disease. Yeah. Um, it often goes untreated until women are in their 30s and they're looking to have children is usually when they find it or after yeah. they've had children. But um, the way I understand it, there's been a major spike in these symptoms. Yes. yes. Yeah, That's right. major spike, yeah. Did you want to add anything to that, Mark? Uh, yes, only that uh, it's making uh, women's reproduction all that harder because it's causing this polycystic ovarian syndrome, it's making it harder for women to become pregnant, especially if they start getting the jabs at the age of yeah. 12 or 13. We don't know what they're going to have in oh, another 10 years. Look, yeah. it's, it's really frightening, isn't it? Uh, so, Kerry, um, what did they? What did the, the investigative surgery reveal? So I ended up, I had to have a DNC, which is a um, dilation and curatage. Um, it's basically where they clean your womb out. And wow. It's pretty drastic. They usually do it after um, when you've had a miscarriage. If you've got retained products of conception, they usually clean you out. Um, um, and oh, and I just kept bleeding. They couldn't find the cause. I'm sorry. H- how do you get cleaned out like that? <laughs> well, um, what happens? It's pretty horrible. As you know, yeah. w- women have uh, periods every month yeah. when they're not pregnant. Yeah. And what they have to do, the dilation, they have to use certain uh, implements to just widen the uterus. Then they basically use a... A sharp implement just to scrape the lining of the uterus, Gosh. remove yes. it out, and then uh, women's put in recovery ward. Well, usually they recover well, and the next day or so, you're knocked out. You don't even know it's happening. You're right. And anyway, yeah. so what was the end result for so you? So the end result was I was put on more medication. Um, right. I was put on to transemic acid, which helps slow bleeding down, and sometimes it does stop bleeding. Um, they usually give it to you when you're hemorrhaging. And my doctor also put me on a progesterone supplement 
um, basically to supplement the hormones that I should have been getting. Right. And I was on a 10-day cycle for that so and that what, actually worked. Right. So the effort there, uh, Mark, jump in if you need to, but it sounds Laid like off. they were – Mm. They were just trying to balance your That's reproductive right. yes. system back yeah, out. Because okay. my hormones were out of whack. Right. Yeah, and and he said it had nothing to do with the ovulation induction. That's a total. It's an it's an imitation process of yep. what the body's natural mm. hormones should have been doing. But he said that the bleeding, obviously, my body was still thinking, "Oh, you're in a period. Oh, let's just keep going." Um, I wasn't putting any progesterone out to say oh, we've got to prime the the ovaries, get ready to go for another round, you know, mm. the next month's cycle. So basically my body had shut down and said, no, no, we're in menstruation still. When you, know, you weren't. When, I'm, when I shouldn't have been. Mm. Right. Uh, so what roughly what date was this in 2022? Uh, that was October. This is in, in 2021. 2021. Right. Yeah. So we're now getting quite a way through it and mm. you've just had nonstop visits to the doctor. Yep. So basically from there, the fertility specialist then said to me, if you want to get pregnant from now on, you're going to need artificial medication help. Yep. Right. Were you? I've got to ask, Carrie, was there at any point in time where you were starting to think, gosh, I'm having all these problems after this jab, um, getting pregnant's really going to put my body into overdrive, this could be dangerous? I did think about the stress that it would put on my body yeah. but with the heart problem. But at that stage, I'd only had a heart problem. I, I didn't have anything else going on. My thyroid was managed with medication. My mental illness was stable with medication. I was in a good place at the time and, and we were looking forward to having another bub. Right. Um, so you 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 just not recovered, but you were you were feeling like things were starting to improve, were you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I literally thought, okay, if a heart condition's the worst thing I'm going to get, then I'll just keep going the way I am. And my body went through a lot of pressure when I was pregnant the first time because I got pregnant literally six weeks after having a gastric sleeve done. Yeah. Um, I lost a rapid amount of weight very quickly and it basically shocked my system and then suddenly I fell pregnant. Um, that's <laughs> that's a that's a well-known thing in, in uh, right. nature, isn't it, Mark? It's thin. Yeah. 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 Yep. And and that's all it took. I, I believe it just took a little bit of weight loss to get pregnant. I was, I was very heavy at the time. I was almost 120 kilos and I lost 52 kilos in – in only a few short weeks. I lost 18 kilos in two weeks and and I was very sick. I suffered with anemia. I suffered with folate issues. I had to go on a lot of supplements. Yeah. And then I had hyperemesis gravidarum the whole way through, even during labour I had that. So I was very sick and and that put my body through a lot of stress and pressure. And then and then the following two years after that, I was, I was put through a lot. Um. And then, so I thought, you know, with the fertility, I thought, no, nah, my body's been through worse. Let's give it a go. Um, right. <laughs> it looks like Mark's got something he wants to jump in on. No, what? I think if people don't know what hyperemesis gravidarum is, it means a tendency to vomit all the time when you're pregnant. Yeah, yeah. thank you. I'm glad you picked up on that because yes. I didn't. <laughs> Severe morning sickness. It put me in hospital a lot. Um, I had to have um, vitamin and iron infusions because I wasn't able to keep my supplements down. I had to have fluids put in every week because I wasn't able to keep water down. Um, I Gosh, really Kay, struggled. <laughs> you, you've had a pretty rough run over the last 12 months. So 
no success with getting pregnant and you no. decided to drop that? Yeah, I decided to take a break. Yeah. Um, I, th- I thought with all the bleeding and everything, I thought, no, I'm going to take a step back because I was pretty – I, I was I was pretty hopeful that I would get pregnant first hit and when I didn't, it kind of really hit, kicked me in the guts. Yeah. And we were told that there was a good chance that you get pregnant first and second go with the ovulation induction. It's a very high percentage. But when it didn't happen, I was just gutted. Yeah. And um, so I decided to take a break and Hubby was like, yeah, let's do that. Let's just have a couple of months off and then we'll yeah, go again. Yeah, step back a little bit. And Yeah, and then things just got worse. Yeah, because this is now bringing us into in November, November in 2021. Um, I believe that you started having having um, blackouts. No, um, that, was, that was where I, um, I, I basically started having gastro symptoms. Um, At the beginning of November. Yeah, um, so I started vomiting really badly um it was to the point where i'd go days without keeping anything down like i was trying to eat dry toast biscuits crackers and i thought i was pregnant all over again trying to eat stuff to survive and it got to the point where i couldn't even keep water down and i went up to the gp and they put a fluid drip on me for a few hours and um they said if this keeps up you're gonna have to go to the hospital and get checked out um, yeah, and did they recommend you start drinking like electrolytes yes. and all those sort of things? I can imagine. Yep. Yeah, so I went on to a soup diet uh, and then I went on to – I had sustagen and also um, the icy pulse, the um, the electrolyte icy yeah, pulse. Yeah, yeah. And I found I was able to keep those down because they were cold. And for some reason I was keeping cold food down but not hot food, um, which was – abnormal for me because usually cold food just gives me headache and like ice cream you get that zap and that headache head brain freeze or yeah whatever of they course call it. yeah brain freeze. um but i found that the cold food was actually soothing everything and and i'd i'd also put a i'd have a teaspoon of ginger and uh, like straight out of the jar and i found that was stopping the vomiting as well right and um and then the diarrhea started um and it was bloody diarrhea like it was it was pure like water but it had streaks of mucusy blood through it and this was something that was new and it it was scary um i actually showed my husband in the toilet oh my gosh um we know that um having extreme bouts of diarrhea also is associated with these as side effects um, we, you know, you've already been introduced to this idea of the C word. Mm-hmm. Um, were you starting to think along those lines? Cause that's what the first thing that I thought of, is um, that what you were thinking? First thing I did was I rang my father-in-law and because he's had bowel cancer and right. I said to him, when you had bowel cancer, did you have these symptoms? And I, cause I've n- not known anybody with that. Yeah. Um, never had to deal with that sort of thing. So he, I sent him a photo of the toilet bowl and he said to me, he said, Jesus, he goes, you need to go and get a scope done. You need to go to a gastro and get a scope done. And you were thinking to yourself, yeah, pretty much what I was thinking? Yes. Yeah. Yep. And, okay, so you went off to the, the, the doctor again? Yeah, I went off to a doctor, got a referral to a um, colorectal surgeon and um, she was great. She was amazing. Um, she understood all the complaints and everything. And she did um, 
she did a scope and everything. They did um, biopsies and stuff and they found I had a few hemorrhoids and they found that I had gastritis, um, severe gastritis um, in, my, in my bottom half of my stomach and my duodenum from the medication I'd been put on. Oh, yeah. Um, I'd been put on a, a naproxen for um, my heart pain and inflammation and I'd basically been having an allergic reaction to it. It had basically rotted my stomach. Yeah. From um, all the medication you'd been taking? Yeah. Is that including the medication that you're… Also Panadol too. So you just said you've got an overload of chemicals coming into yes. your body, right? Yeah. Shocking. Um, now, I've got to ask the question, at that point with these doctors, were you feeling like they were gaslighting you or did you feel like you were getting a good service from them? No, she was great. She explained Fantastic. everything. She also told me um, I had a rectocell from childbirth, which I didn't even know about. What does that mean? <laughs> um, it's a lump in the, in, in the rectum, in your rectum anal canal from it's, it's basically your pelvic floor popping through so basically i had a pelvic floor prolapse while i was giving birth and she oh. actually found that and um and she notified my gynecologist about it which is nothing serious a lot of women get them yeah um and it was the hemorrhoids she was more concerned about because they were quite large and there was a tear as well from the constant diarrhea i had actually torn down there and um, since then, I was supposed to have a surgery, but since then, we've managed to we've managed to fix that with a um, with a hemorrhoid cream. Um, oh, so simply just um, a, yeah, there's something in the cream, um, cortisone or something like that in the cream, and and it's managed to heal things up. So I didn't I avoided a very painful and awkward surgery. Fantastic! I'm glad um, to hear that. But yeah, the vomiting didn't stop. Um, that's been ongoing for the last year. Um, they've put me on, on Danzatron for that now because every time I wake up in the morning, I'm always nauseous. Have you had the uh, gastric sleeve removed as well? Uh, the sleeve is where they actually cut your stomach away. So I've only mm, got so a quarter of a stomach. So it's remained, right. Yeah, it's the band is the one they take off. Right. That, uh, so I thought that might have been the new name for a band. So I've made a mistake there. Yeah. So it's just you just have one quarter the size of your – Yeah. No so, wonder you had the gastritis, now I understand. Yeah, oh. so what happens now is when I take medication and supplements, my body isn't absorbing it. Um, the re receptors that have been cut off for hunger that mm. make you hungry and mm. make you eat, they've been cut off. And those same receptors are the ones that help your stomach absorb all your all your medications and your supplements. So, so I didn't realise, I've heard of, um, what do you call it, um, getting your stomach stapled before, which That's temporarily. Right. That's the old-fashioned one. Yeah. Yeah, and then, but wouldn't they then take the staples out later? And uh, they, had, they had to do that, many people who had that. Uh, they had to remove the staples. But now apparently they've got this new yeah. operation they call gastric sleeve, which I thought was the band, mm. but it's not. So I didn't realise they would so actually, they actually do this cut sort of thing. your stomach Yeah, out. they cut your yeah. stomach in half and wow. they put a little medical zipper on the end of it and you've only got a 100 mil pouch there as your stomach. Mm. So basically that coffee cup there is all I can stomach for a meal and I can't drink and eat at the same time, otherwise mm. I get sick. How do you... I don't know how you live like yeah, that. It's very difficult. They pioneered that 
of people who had duodenal ulcers in the old day, what were known as Billroth 1 and Billroth 2 right. uh, uh, surgeries, but people would get strange side effects from it, dumping syndromes. Yes. They'd make a, uh, a separate duodenal connection to the stomach. But even with this, by removing the stomach from food, it does cause hormonal problems. Yeah. They're hor- gastric hormonal problems. Righto. So, Kari, since taking the second um, jab at the end of June 2021, You've progressively been getting worse, but in between times, you've tried to uh, get pregnant and have a baby. Yeah. Personally, yeah. I got to, I got to, crazy. I got to say, where, where was your head at? But oh, it's um, pretty crazy. <laughs> but, but you know, people do these things, and and of course, you're a young woman as well. You wanted to have that baby because you're yeah. you're getting sort of to that age where it's sort I of. I wanted to have my family, you know. Yeah. And my yeah. hubby always, we both agreed that we'd only go two, and that would be it. You know, right. we'd be done. Yeah. And and I said, I'm going to go till 40. And if I haven't got a bub by 40, that's it. I'm going to have the oven shut down. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, um, gosh, you, you, you know, you can't deny someone wanting to have a family. And no. I'm making the, I'm sort of making an assumption right now that even though all these things had happened to you, uh, had the true impact of this really imp- um, hit you yet? Like in other yeah, words, yeah, um, yeah. With the next hospital stay, it did. I started putting two and two together. Going, hang on, there's there's a lot of things that are not adding up here. There's I've been never been this sick before. Yeah, right. So, um, yeah, it's I, I it's, it's right. It's very hard to put it together. I mean, I yeah. said the gastritis was due to her. Um, gastric sleeving, but there could be other issues as well. The fact she's had the jabs may be uh, causing yeah. further irritation yeah, to the and, stomach lining. And what I, I think what I was going to say is I'm just trying to find the right words, but just, you know, it sounds like right up until that point in time, you were literally continuing to just, just to try and live your life yeah. like a normal human being. Yeah, a normal life. And I want to make that point because uh, this is why so many people took this damn jab. Uh, just because they wanted to just continue to live life normally. Yep. And and we just have to reinforce the fact that um, if it wasn't for all this coercion, intimidation, bullying, yeah. um, none of this would ha- would have happened. No, I would never have gotten it. And a- another point that I'd really like to make is that um, – do you know that um, the the through discovery and some legal cases and things like that, there's starting to there's this picture that's starting to emerge right now that um, the lockdowns were brought in, which is what kicked all of this hyper paranoia off. Yeah, um, they were brought brought in. It looks now like certainly in within Commonwealth countries, uh, with literally no data. No. Um, and if you think back, it was all the experts say and all these things, but we've never been able to find out who those experts are and we've never been able to see the data. Well, yes. um, through discovery, and, and I'm talking about a case that's just occurred in, in, in Canada where they've discovered that the governments didn't have any data. I have heard of this, yeah. They, they, they didn't have any of these experts. What they had was they had a mathematical model that was created by a bloke who has been proven so wrong, it's not funny, but indeed the same man who was caught sneaking at a guy from London in the UK during the lockdown, sneaking out 
uh, to, to travel across London to his girlfriend's house and he was caught doing that. So it, straight away you've got to question um, that guy's integri- integrity mm-hmm. because if things were really so bad, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have been doing that. That's yeah. right. We're caught by mathematical malfeasance. That's how it's done. Mm-hmm. They make false projections that a whole lot of people are going to die from some minor flu, COVID in this case. They say a million will die. Let's take an example. And uh, only 30,000 elderly people die. They then say that the masks, lockdowns and jabs saved a million lives. That BS is then written up in the journals and in a couple of years' time it'll be taught at medical schools. If we're going to have that sort of thing as the standards for medicine, the practice of medicine is finished. Only people like your surgeon who don't really know much about other types of medicine, just what's relevant to surgery, they're okay. But all the rest of the doctors are stuck with this BS unless they stand up against it. It's virtually psychological warfare that they've inflicted on on general society. Oh, oh, Curry, it's... um, it's it's certainly psychological warfare and um, the the arm of the government, and I, I say the word arm of the government, I mean what I'm saying, that carried that psychological warfare out is the media. Yes. Yep. Yeah. They're it's, a puppet. Uh, yep. They're in on it. Yeah. Um, and and it's it's not just obvious. We, we, the, the, the proof is coming out. The data is coming out. And unlike Mark McGowan, um, we are putting this data together um, and the incredible researchers around the world are putting this data together and uh, the mountain of it is growing and they're going to have some serious questions to answer for very soon. And indeed, I also have just recently heard that um, the FAA in America are starting now to push back on the government as well. Yes, and there's some really interesting things about that case, but um, that's not what we're here for. So, Kari, we're now into early November mm-hmm. and things really start getting bad for you, don't they? Oh, yeah. Um, we went from GP appointments because um, we started having COVID cases here. We had only a couple managed to get in through the border and they went all crazy and well, locked that, everything down. Us. Yeah. And... Um, and so my GP decided, oh, they weren't going to do face-to-face visits, so they went to telehealth. Mm. And there was a few times I did those telehealth things and I was supposed to go for a heart checkup, which is your blood pressure and everything. Now, mm. you can't do that over the phone. Well, I mean, most <laughs> things, medically speaking, you did can't you hear do that? over the phone. Did you hear that, Mark McGowan? You can't <laughs> measure blood pressure over the phone. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, and the other thing was... Um, um, like she, she would do my blood pressure, my temperature. Hang um, on, how? Tell how? me, take me through the process. How you, over the phone? Okay, so you're on the phone, and she goes, "Now I'm just going to take your blood pressure." Did she, did, did this person? So you was, know what she did? They literally said that to because you because she they? knew I had a blood pressure cuff at home. She asked me to take my own blood pressure and mm. tell her the reading, so she could log it into the computer. Yeah. Mark, well, isn't it truly fascinating? Well, she's a paramedic, so I think the GP could trust her to do that. But the thing is that uh, you need more than that. You need a GP's hands-on touching of the patient to feel what's going on, to feel if there's a cardiac problem, which a patient's reporting will never provide. That's right. So, Kari, what other fascinating things that she did she manage to do over the phone? Well, the other thing was um, by this stage I was very pale. 
um it's almost like white as a ghost i've got to stop you for a second was this a video call so did no, she have eyes it no, was it literally just audio it's just, it was just a, a phone call phone call yeah <laughs> it yep. gets worse um, and um yeah so she i told her i was pale i was starting to sweat a lot like abnormally um i'd wake up first it was night sweats mm. and then it was sweats and and like hot cold chills during the day um, which was really abnormal. It just hit me out of the blue. So this is just a new symptom that's just yeah. begun to develop with you. Yep. Um, the question I've got to ask is that you can tell the doctor that over the phone all you like, yeah. but um, a generally speaking, Mark, doesn't uh, a, isn't the point of having a consultation with your doctor so that the doc, doctor can hear from you and ask you questions but assess that situation for themselves? That's right, and they have to assess that situation properly in most cases by carrying out an examination. Mm -hmm. She's having sweat, she's having chills, etc. Yep. She has to be checked by physical examination for an infection. That might right. also be the sudden onset of menopause. You don't know what it is. And, and Kari, I've got to ask the question. You might have already said answered this, but um, was this somebody that you know you'd already known as your doctor? Is this same your, GP? It's your normal GP. Yeah. Okay, so so she knew my history. So it, medical it, history. it wasn't some unknown person. We we no. know that that person was a doctor. That's no. the point. So I, it was I, a I booked a booked telehealth appointment. Right. Um. So at that stage, I was scheduling one every week because I was concerned. Um, I've got to ask another question. Was this doctor making the phone call to you from their surgery or are they sitting in their pyjamas at home? I have no idea, but what I can tell you is yeah. from my Medicare records, instead of claiming a telehealth appointment, they were claiming a face-to-face -face appointment. Oh. Ooh, wow. Well, Mark, number one, um, would you think that um, – if that person did indeed uh, make that telehealth call to Kari from their bedroom whilst they're sitting in their pyjamas with their slippers on, do you think that's like a level of professionality that you'd expect from a doctor? Well, it seems to have become the level of professionality, but the old days I'd have said that was some um, medical negligence. But now a hipper doesn't seem to worry about that. They seem to think this sloppy standard is the new normal. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of new normals, aren't there, Kerry? Yes, um, yeah. Sudden adult death syndrome's a new normal. Oh, I've seen this, yes. And yep. having a heart attack, young people having heart attacks on the sports field is also the new normal, yep. as is myocarditis. That's right. Uh, I've heard the statistics apparently that worldwide 23 elite athletes are uh, die on the field every year because of undiagnosed conditions. All I know is that in January this year it has been 100. In other words, it's going to be something like 1,000 this year and the people are not putting the facts together because they're hiding those who have died on the field. Well, they're trying to hide that. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, with the, especially here in Australia with the obsession uh, with sport, mm -hmm. uh, it's yeah. a little bit hard to hide those things. Um, <laughs> Shane Warne um, and yeah. others. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. sad. Yeah, so Curry, um, Curry, sorry, it's okay. <laughs> you, you're not a, you're not a, um, an Indian dish. <laughs> um, tell me what happened next, because at some point in this, t at this time, I know that you were telling me earlier that you just simply collapsed on the floor at home. Yeah, so in November, I, I was early in the morning, very early in the morning. I started having abdominal pain. Um, I had upper upper GI abdominal pain 
and also pain under my right rib where my liver is. Um, I also had lower abdominal pain, like a cramping sensation, mm-hmm. similar to when us women get our period or you get an upset tummy. It was, it was very like um, if anyone's ever had gastro, it was those symptoms, but very, right. very painful. Yeah. Um, I ended up taking, um, I took Panadol to try and get rid of some of the pain. I got a heat pack as well and I put a heat pack on there and just to give me some form of relief. Comfort, yeah. Um, it made my back pain. I suffer from back pain all the time um, and it made that twice as bad. And I was very bloated. I woke up extremely bloated like I was six months pregnant again and I I was kept tossing and turning a lot. I was sweating, like my whole nighty was saturated. So the, the bed sweats was wet. that you'd explain to your GP during this uh, teleconference, sorry everyone, I just kicked the camera, um, that, that just progressively got yeah. worse. Yeah, Right. So um, now you're, you're, um, you're getting serious pain, yeah. abdominal pain. Yeah. Um, that ended up triggering off the chest pain. Um, it triggered off my heart. I started getting shoulder tip pain. My arm went numb and I thought, oh, I've got to get to the toilet because I just felt like I needed to vomit. How quickly did these symptoms develop? Very quickly. Like over days or no, over a week? Within an hours. hour. Hours. Yeah. So you've woken up one day, you've got this extreme abdominal pain, yep. you t- you're, you're doing these things to try and get some comfort and relaxation and then progressively over that day you've started to feel chest pain. Yeah, so from 3am to 6am in the morning I was going through the ringer. I was in hell. It was like gastro. Um, and I've had gastro a few times but this was twice as bad and I was in the toilet and I was – I was swapping between vomiting and doing the number two. Yeah. And it was just like water coming out both ends. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it, I didn't, it, I didn't eat familiar. tea that night. I, yeah. I didn't feel hungry. Yeah. Um, I cooked tea but I looked at it and I just felt sick looking at my meal and this has been constant. Yeah. Um, suddenly I just don't feel hungry and I want to vomit. Yeah, um, and again, this um, this the symptoms that you're going through here, or this this um, constant diarrhea, is also something that's being very clearly now associated with these jabs. I'm hearing a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. and the and the the nausea is a big one. Yeah. So at, at some point, did you end up in hospital? Yeah, I did. Um, did you had you already? I, sorry, had you already collapsed at this point? No. Um, you, basically, you I was sitting on the toilet and. I called out to my husband who had just gotten out of bed for breakfast. He put the kettle on and I called out to him and I said, hubby, I said, call an ambulance now. And that was all I got out and I fell on the floor. Oh. And um, I I don't remember what happened only from what he told me, but when he touched me, I was drenched in sweat. I was actually laying in a pool of water on the floor. I was sweating that bad. And you were unconscious at this time? So. This is a. Um, this all started the the evening before or the day before. The, it's just got, that that morning, three a.m. That morning it started. I just woke up with a sharp tummy pain. Oh wow! And yeah. so within just a matter of hours, you've you've collapsed on the floor. Three and hours. Yeah. Jeez, 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 jeez. So you um, went to hospital. Went to hospital. Woke up. I had drips all out of me. Um, they'd taken. I had. I had six puncture wounds, so I knew they had trouble trying to get blood. So you'd been <laughs> unconscious this entire time. Yeah. Yeah. How long? Um, how long were you unconscious for? Uh, 
about 16 hours in total. Oh, gosh. And what had actually happened in that time was they'd given me fentanyl for pain relief with no one checking my medical record that I'm actually allergic, allergic to fentanyl. So then they had to give me um, EpiPen to, um, to counteract that. <laughs> I mean, just in Mark, incredibly sloppy, isn't it? Yeah. That's right. I thought they could call up her electronic records and mm-hmm. these aller- allergies would come up immediately on the top of the list when they look through it. Yeah, the but My it, Health record. It's yeah. all on there. But, of course, as I've already said, um, all the, the the truly great staff, the critical thinking staff, are the mm-hmm. ones with the, the great amount of experience um, rejected this, um, you know, Informed consents uh, no longer your right. It's it's become your obligation now, yes. and so they've left, and we're left with, you know, inexperienced young, um, sloppy workers in the healthcare industry, and yeah. stuff like this has happened. How um, how bad is that condition for you? Like, could that have killed you? Anaphylaxis is life threatening. Yes. Are they, yeah. Very much, yes. It could easily be deadly. She's clearly got a liver or some sort of liver problem there, which is making the rest of us sick. She's also had this uh, chest pain, which could be a sign of anything from pulmonary embolus or massive intravascular coagulation. Everything is very much out of control. And with her history, if she'd come into hospital, I'd say, right, we have to resuscitate her, but we just don't know what's going on with and I've got to ask because fentanyl's always in the press these mm, days yes. with um, the Chinese flooding the American um, illegal drug market uh, with tons and tons of fentanyl, enough to kill hundreds of thousands of people a year. Yes. Um, is that, Mark, a normal drug to be given in a hospital well, or is that? I, I th- is it, wasn't, it wasn't when I was there but I think it is now. I mean mm-hmm. I think the the opinions here have changed and they're using it, they're trying to stop opiates but they stop one and allow another through and fentanyl right. seems to be very commonly used now. Yeah, yeah. because um, see I'm also allergic to morphine as well. I have the same anaphylactic reaction. Mm. So um, I've noticed a lot more now they don't give morphine. Even when I was in labour, they didn't offer me morphine. They actually did the same thing. They gave me fentanyl in labour and put me in anaphylaxis during labour. Um, and that's and but, this one, but, but this, that one they did, time, this one they did while I was unconscious. Why do you need a pain relief when you're unconscious? A good question. You're not going to feel pain. Sad, it's sad to say, and I've got to point it out because I just made this point about, um, you know, is fentanyl the right thing and, these, and, and the experienced staff not being there anymore. But um, is that uh, the, the first time you were given fentanyl during pregnancy, that was obviously Epidural. But it was two years prior to this yeah. pandemic, yep. so another another failure there, which is um, just yes. really scary. That's frightening. Yeah. Um, do you have one of those? I know you've got a necklace on there. I can see, but do you have one of those things where they? Oh, it's on your wrist. Yeah. Okay, I know because my father had one of those. So they didn't even check that. Yeah, they didn't check my phone. They didn't check my my health record at all. Sure. In fact, on every hospital stay I have been in. They not once have they checked my my health record because I always get an SMS when someone's um someone's uh been accessed it. Yeah. Is it? Is it? I don't know. I I I've got to be honest with you. I don't trust the government either anymore. So I just 
I really just ignore my gov. I screw them. I, I don't know much about it. So is that normal? You you get a text message when someone looks at your records? Uh, yes, it, it's normal to get that because they, you want to be safe that people who are accessing it are not crooks. Yeah, well, that's right. And, and, and yeah, I mean. Security. The security. Um, we still have the law in this land yeah. where doctor-patient privacy is is sacrosanct. Yeah. Uh, except for when it comes to this. Uh, so only um, what I know about it from when I first started the My Health record, I was actually going to delete it. I didn't want My Health public on the, on the government system. Yeah. Um, I thought, no, it's between me and my GP, my well, health. Well, it really is. And it's certainly not between um, uh, the government and your employer either. Yes, Let's that's right. Let's just make that point. Yeah. Um, so so when I set it up, they said to me, you can allow only certain people access to it and then you can also allow a, um, a beneficiary to access it in the event that something happens to you, they can access your account and, and give the hospital that information. Mm. But as I found out um, previous to this, all of this happening, the hospital can access that information whenever they want, being a public or a private hospital. Yep. They just choose not to. But when you go into emergency, because they wouldn't allow my husband in with me, he couldn't tell them that I get anaphylaxis to certain medications. Mm. He, you know, he, he was basically told by the paramedics, no, you stay at home because, you know, you, ha you haven't done a PCR or a rats test to go into the hospital. And there was um, some occasions where they, they just weren't uploading documents either. Yeah. You know, they're supposed to upload your discharge summaries, your pathology uh, uh, reports, mm. shared summaries with your GP so everyone knows your history, um, but they don't. Carrie, it's another one that we hear Day in, day out, basically. That's a gosh. There's so many stories about that. And if, for anyone who's wondering um, about this, um, go please uh, go back to the through the jab injured series that Mark and I have done, and um, you'll find out more about these things. So, Carrie, when did um, you were telling me before the show that you spent twelve days, yeah, in hospital in November? When did that begin? Um, because it sounds like at the moment we're in the first week of November. It was about like, the 19th of November. You you memory. went into hospital and yeah. you stayed there for 12 days at that point. Yeah. What brought you to that point? Um, so that was when I collapsed on the floor. Um, for the second time. Yeah. Got carted off with the ambulance. And, um, when I woke up, they, they were doing more blood tests. I actually woke up to someone jamming a needle in my arm and I was terrified. I actually flipped out. And I'll bet. I nearly hit the person, the, the phlebotomist. I nearly hit them because I was terrified of needles and no one told them I had a needle phobia. And that's, oh, yeah, on, but that's, on, that's on my phone and my My Health record if anyone wanted to read it. It's there that I've got a needle phobia. But since having the vaccines, it's been worse, you know, like I'm, just terrified. Well, I can imagine. Um, and I don't like getting blood tests at the best of times. I try and put them off if I can. Um, mm. But, yeah, when I woke up like that and, and I had oxygen on my face and I was like had all these leads off me because something had happened with my heart. So I had a I had an ECG hooked up to me and um, there was a lady doing an ECG while I was laying there and she's like, she just pushed me straight back down and said, you need to calm down, I'm trying to do an ECG. And this was when I woke up and oh saw God. someone doing blood. 
Look, um, Carrie, another another thing that I'm, I've got to point out um, is just the pure lack of compassion. Oh, there is none in, in hospitals these days. Um, again, another very frightening development in our healthcare system here in Australia. Mm-hmm. So, can we go back a step? Yeah. Tell me, get, take me back through the the time when you collapsed. What happened there? So all I know from my husband is he sat there and he had to wait 35 minutes from an ambulance. But hang on, so you're lucky at this point because your husband, as you said at the beginning of the show, is often away. Yeah. He's a truck driver. I was actually lucky he was home that weekend. And so you just, what, you were you, what, you were just hanging out on the lounge or something or other and you just fell onto the floor? What happened? No, no, um, that was when I woke up early in the morning and, yeah, collapsed in the toilet. Oh, this um, is the first time and that is yeah. so, okay, now I yeah, understand. Yeah, so, so. He, um, he monitored me until the ambulance got there and he told them that I'd been suffering with abdominal cramping and pain. Mm. Then he said to them that I'd mentioned chest pain again and um, straight away in the ECG, they put me on an ECG in the ambulance. Um, they'd hooked me up to that and then from there they told him that he wasn't allowed to come with me. Um, and then from there, he didn't get any phone call from the hospital on what was happening with me. Um, they just took you away. Basically just took yeah. me away. But the reason why it took them so long to get to me was not only were the ambulances all flat out at the time, they had to get dressed up in all the COVID. Um, oh, of course, they had to go all through the that Yeah, Yeah, all the PPE. And, yeah. I mean, that takes a good 10 minutes because you've got a double mm. glove and everything like that. Uh, and then they've, so they're adding a good 10 minutes onto every time that they get called out, which yeah. is all day. Yeah. And um, on top of that, there's less people working in the industry. Mm. We've got all these ramping issues. Mm-hmm. It's just a, a compounding issue that we're, 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 we're faced with. Yeah. Just absolutely shocking. So my so, husband knows the difference like um, – like previously I had a false alarm with childbirth. It took them 10 minutes to get yep. to our house. Yeah. And, you know, for 35 minutes for that and I was, you know, I was unconscious. I had a very, very low pulse at the time. Um, yeah, I know. You, you, I mean, your husband, I can imagine him being he was, pretty panicked. He was scared. I was white as a ghost apparently. And, and he's called the ambulance. Um, my, my wife's collapsed on the floor. These All these things have been happening and they took – all that time to get there. The first thing I remember him telling me, the first thing the paramedics asked him was, do you guys have COVID and are you vaccinated? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and Hubby was like, yes, we're both vaccinated. No, we haven't been anywhere to get COVID. I'm the only one that works. She's been locked down at home. And, and he said, I wouldn't know if she's got it. You know, he said, I don't know what the damn symptoms are. I'll tell you what, Carrie, <laughs> um, uh, for anyone in the audience, um, I've just got to let you know that my blood pressure is going up right now because um, <laughs> I reckon if I was your hus- husband, I reckon I would have. I, I would have clocked him. He was very angry. Um, I, I reckon it would have set me off and I would have been yeah. using all kinds of profanities and telling them to get their ass in there yeah. and to get this sorted out. <laughs> because uh, of where I was, <laughs> they had trouble getting a stretcher in through the doors yeah. um, because of that the house design. It made right. it very difficult with the doorways all being ajar and, and yeah. off-centre. 
So trying uh, to get a stretcher in, it's not like going in through the front door and, and, you know, suddenly turn a hallway or something. They had to try and get it in and get me out from behind the toilet door yeah, because always hard. I'd collapsed mm. in the actual toilet and the door, I'd left it ajar. I, I have a, ever since having my child, I never shut the door Good. totally. It's just a thing. I've always got an yeah, ear out. Yeah. And, and he'll always come looking for me. So I've yeah. always left the door a little bit ajar. Yeah, that's it sounds normal weird. Thing. No, it's not a, it's not a weird thing. I, I've, you've just sent, given me a memory of my mother when I was yeah. a little child. I remember um, that. And I used to do it with a shower as well. I'd leave it ajar. Even if we had guests, I'd just say, don't walk down the hall because you might catch me in the nick, you know, and laugh. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But um, it's it's just a thing so that I could always hear him and where he was in the house. Well, or, you're a mother. You or don't he have would to come looking for me. You don't have to exp- um, it, um, um, explain that. You're a mother. You've got every right to do that. Um, yeah, once you have a child, you never do anything alone again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so... Uh, so what happened there was, um, yeah, I'd, I'd collapsed behind the toilet door and my hubby had to try and get in. And yeah, I can imagine this is a <laughs> He had a to terrible... prop me up against the toilet and he said that he had to kind of drag me out with his arms under my arms oh, and drag me out from around the toilet. And the next thing that's going through my mind is um, your hubby's not um, – medically trained person so no by he lifting has first you, aid but yeah um, but by lifting you up there's all sorts of but moving potential issues right. there. moving a dead weight is hard right. yeah um i'm just trying to imagine how he did it um uh, he's got a okay. lot of brute strength he's a truckie so <laughs> i'm sure he does i'm sure yeah. he does so okay so that led to this 12 day mm. stay in hospital what were the the medical staff saying to you as you were because you you know you're unconscious so, for a while. you nearly clocked this guy for yeah. um, putting a needle in your um, arm and yeah i was told to calm down or they would give me something to calm down and was this regularly throughout this oh the, yeah the, the following yeah. the 12 day period yeah well, can you be just honest with me and tell me were, were, were you at any point um getting sort of upset with them or yes I can um, imagine. I can imagine. I yeah. can say that that hospital is a trigger for me because of my childbirth. Can you name the hospital, please? It's Midland, Midland Public right. Private Hospital. Okay, um, so not Charles Gardner. No. Possibly the most um, disgusting outfit in the healthcare industry yeah. in Australia. No, this is Midland and that would rate with that too. It's yeah. shocking there. Yeah. You, you only go there if you want to end up in a body bag as far as I'm concerned. Look, I say all these um, things for the audience because, um, well, so that the audience understands, I've had quite a bit of experience with the way these doctors and nurses and the security staff mm-hmm. behave around this and I've had that uh, quite a bit of that experience with Sir Charles Gardner Hospital mm-hmm. and they're, they are just grotesquely um, out of order, those people are. Yeah, they are. I don't know how um, to say it civilly. But so uh, basically what happened was with the needle going on, waking up and then them telling me where I was, mm-hmm. triggered off PTSD like that. I can imagine. And I flipped it. I flipped a switch and they ended up calling security on me um, and told me to calm down or I would be restrained. And I said, you cannot restrain me by law. And um, I said, I want my husband. And and they were like, no, your husband's not allowed to come into the hospital. 
at that stage, they had only just opened up the hospitals to allow one visitor or a support person, um, provided they had done all the COVID screening. Yeah, and your husband so, had the, the jab as well. Yeah. So there and was no he allowed. So there was no need for me to prevent for, for them to prevent me from my husband coming to see me. Yeah. Especially under the mental health act. Can we have an did they give you an explanation as to No, what? they did not. So you were just never given a reason why you were just left in there on your own and your husband was also left he had separated. No idea from what you. was going on. You had no idea for twelve days. Um well, what point for did five you? days. For five mm. days. Five days before they let him in. <clears throat> was he going to the hospital each morning and demanding to be allowed? Let to, uh, to be allowed on the second in? day, he rang up and he said, "I want to see my wife. I want to know that everything's okay." And they just told him, "Yes, she's stable. Um, there's nothing to worry about. We've just done some blood tests. We'll ring you at the end of the day." Did they? They rang him. What yeah. did they say to him? Um, basically, they told me they were looking for a virus screening. Um, they'd just done the COVID screening and I was in isolation. So when Hang you on, go into sorry, hospital. They, sorry, I've got to stop you. I'm confused. They were telling your husband that they were screening you for COVID-19. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that was the big fear at that so stage. So they it? do a rats when you come in. And at that point, they were only doing the PCRs. And so whether you come in or not, you're treated as a positive patient. Yes, I know. Yeah. And um, they make you, they put an orange mask on your face when you're, when you're um, deemed positive and then they yes. isolate you in your room. Yeah. You're only allowed a certain number of staff in there at any one time. Yeah. Um, we, we use the word discriminate. They yes. discriminate against you. Yeah, I would use that. Mm. And then... Um, about three days later, your PCR comes in. Mine came in negative, so they took off all the all the um, protocols. But yeah. they treated Stop me. discriminating against They treated you. me like a gastro patient because of my symptoms. So they still kept up some of the isolation procedure. Mm. So my husband still wasn't allowed in. Oh, stupid! And then when I told them that, I said, "Look, I've had gastro before. These symptoms are twice as bad as that." Everyone's and, had gastro And I said, before. you know, I've now got, I've got a heart condition as well, which is really hurting. And I said, something's going on. I've got something. There's something wrong. And were you wrong. saying to them at this point, uh, I'm sure this is to do with the jab? I did say that. What did they say when you said that? The first doctor laughed at me. He was well, only a student doctor. Oh, <laughs> he oh, laughed. By the way, Carrie, did you know that um, student doctors or any of just the ward, the ward kind of doctors, not specialists, but do you know where they get their information from? I have no idea. <laughs> they have a website called Up to Date. Oh. So because they work so hard, they don't have the, the time to, to do their own research, uh, something that I recommend everyone does. But um, they... Uh, they go to this website that they pay a subscription for. Maybe as a doctor you get that uh, for free or I'm not sure, but you, it's a subscription-based service. It's run by a publishing house. Oh, and what, what they have is they have experts that, they, that go and assess the data, the studies, 
and then they write an opinion piece. That's right, and that, those experts are meant to be consultants and it's usually the consultants and registrars who are reading up things on up-to-date because even in the specialties, there's too many things for a doctor to be able to read himself. Mm. So he goes onto this uh, website and he gets anonymous reviews of the oh. materials and, and, and they're paid for by the drug companies. And that's the point. The expert, the so-called expert, remains anonymous. No one knows where this opinion piece it's came from. Complete bias. Well, mm. uh, <laughs> that one is going to be left for a a, a, a court order or a proper mm. investigation mm. at some point because um, there is already talk of 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 you know an, an information request order or freedom of information request for things like that. And I mean, we could go on and on and on, but um, the truth of the matter is it's not a conspiracy theory. No. There is a cover up. There is a cons uh, conspiracy mm -hmm. to cover this up. Yeah. And it's all too obvious because as I just said to you earlier, it doesn't matter what state you go to in Australia. Now I've got this evidence personally for, for West Australia, um, South Australia, and the Northern Territory. Um, I'm just going to make the assumption that New South Wales and Queensland and 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 Canberra and whatever they they are all the same. They're using the same words. I've had um, verbal confirmation that that's what happens in the other states, mm, yes. but I haven't experienced that directly for myself yet. I have friends in Victoria and New South Wales and the Territory, mm -hmm. and a lot of the heart conditions with people coming in. One of them is a nurse, and she said it's the same thing. It's it's the the anxiety diagnosis and then yep. and now the neurological thing when she saw my video she was like i am so glad you spoke out about this because yeah. she said she said we've had six people diagnosed with fnd just this week alone and she said this and these people don't even have a mental illness. What's FND? Oh, FN functional FN neurological disorder. It means it's all in their head and they're just very anxious or unhappy and, mm. and they're giving a lot of symptoms. But you can see that it's not that because when you look at the tremors that people have, these are not things that an actor could uh, imitate. Yeah. If you yeah. look at actors pretending to have Parkinson's and things, you can tell the difference. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, this is the thing. Um, I've got to make the point as well, Kerry, that um, – you know, we, we're not concerned about identifying who people like you are because people can tell by listening to you that you're telling the truth. Um, we're all human beings. We've got we all get no a, reason to lie about absolutely. this. Absolutely. You know? we've, we've all got the this sense that we, we know when we're being lied to. Mm. And, um, you know, when people like Mark McGowan get up and, and say that, look, the experts this and, you know, the data that, but we never see it. We never see it. I mean... I think even the people that have gone along with this are starting to get a sense for the fact that they'd been lied to and, oh, of course, you know, when you think about it, yeah, it was a little bit funny the way he did that. Where was that transparency to begin oh, with? I know. You know? Oh, the, the incredibly transparent Mark McGowan. Where, yeah. where is your transparency? And by the way, before we go on, did you know that um, he's just recently come out in a statement and said that he'll go to his grave being very proud of what he's done here? No, I hope won't, he <laughs> won't take too long if he gets some of the shots. Yeah, I hope he goes to his grave sooner than later. <laughs> well, I've got, to, I've got to ask him the question. I've got to pose um, the question to you, Mark McGowan, is is this what you mean by being proud of what you've done here? Because you've destroyed this young lady's life. 
and that of her family, basically. That's right. And, and everyone others. else with the lockdowns and the constant hammering at people to go and get the jab, yeah. as our poor lady here did on the 31st of March when you got the Novavax. Yeah, yeah well, we haven't gotten into that yet, but... Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway, what else do you say? I mean, there's so many points to be made. Look, let's yeah. move on. Um, so basically um, uh, basically during that 12 days I was hit with twice daily blood tests. Um, they were looking, they ruled out gastroenteritis, uh, gastroenteritis on the um, day five and then that afternoon my husband came in and my husband came storming in. He was wow, pissed. Wow, I'll bet. Um, he was like, what is going on? And Because he, he still hadn't been really commu- – they hadn't really communicated no. with him. They d- he, he was left in the dark the whole time. Basically, yeah. He's left in the dark here with your two-year-old yeah. son yep. and, the, and and his, his wife and your, his son's mother de- desperately ill in the hospital and no one will allow him to go in and see it or they, and they won't communicate with him either. Isn't yep. that wicked, Mark? Exactly. I mean, uh, patients often feel so much better when their relatives come in to see them. Mm. It's a calming procedure for most people. I'm I'm just, my heart goes out to your son at the moment as well, Carrie, because um, we haven't mentioned this, but you you haven't been spending or able to spend a whole lot of time with your two-year-old son Um, over the last few months, Basically, every time I've been in hospital, he's had to go down to his grandparents so that hubby can still work to keep the roof over our head and pay the medical bills. In the last six months, how much uh, time have you been separated from your very young son? Four months in total. Mm. Oh, my gosh. And it hurts. Um, It really, really hurts. Well, again, Mr Mark McGowan, is this what you mean by um, you're very proud of what you've done? I've got to to ask that and I've got to ask all the other medical staff and uh, anyone who's participated in this scamdemic uh, how do you feel about li- hearing this? Yeah, how do they live with themselves? How do they live with themselves? Well, that's why they tell you to grow a brain so they can distance themselves from you and just treat you as things to be yeah. manipulated. Yeah, that's right. That's what – well, we know this from history. You, you start yeah. – identi- you label people and with a negative con- connotation and then you can start getting the rest of the population to go, oh, yeah, they are stupid, aren't they? Mm-hmm. It's disgusting. Righto, Carrie, so – what happened next? Um, because Sorry. I believe that this began, a, uh, I think from before you were saying, this began a, a long series oh, yeah. of hospital yeah. So stays. in that time they found out that my, um, I'd, I'd had um, CT scans, uh, MRIs, ultrasounds, and it was during one of the ultrasounds they found that um, my liver and my spleen were enlarged and they found that um, I had a lot of free fluid in my abdomen um and um it was then they they looked into the pathology some pathology come back and then they noticed my liver was hepatic um it was they had a term for it where it was it was almost bordering on liver failure um and you know the pain from where my liver was under my rib that had just happened suddenly like it was a very sharp sudden pain and then I got all the abdominal pain um they are we in November? Into, are we still in yeah, November? Yeah, November. Still, yeah. Um, they looked into my pancreas as well um, because I'd started vomiting. When I was vomiting in the toilet, I vomited up an awful lot of bile. Yeah. There was a lot of bile. Mm. But when they went through my medical record, they noticed that I'd had my um, 
um, gallbladder removed. And um, so what was happening was my liver was producing an excess amount of bile and it wasn't dumping down into my small intestine. And then they diagnosed me with some um, sphincter of oddy dysfunction, which is basically a little a little valve or a sphincter. That's mine. Okay. Um, it, it's basically a, a sphincter that um, it empties into the duct between there and the pancreas and the small intestine and it opens up. And they said with this dysfunction it can spasm and it can stay shut and not empty. And so they sent me for all these scans and they put a um, scope down my throat to find out what was going on. And when they did that, my whole stomach was full of bile. It was actually backed up. My, my throat was all red raw from vomiting. Um, the gastritis had gotten worse. And um, my throat had actually semi-closed up. Um, they also found that um, my lymph nodes all over were all swollen on the, on mm. one of the CT scans. Um, this sounds like, Mark, tell me, yes. um, I, I'm imagining um, Carrie being rushed into That's the right. operating uh, theatre. Yeah, I'm just going to ask first, um, had they removed your gallbladder when they gave you the gastric sleeve? or uh, After. Um, it was actually childbirth, um, being pregnant, that set it off. Oh, and so you had a gallbladder inflammation, they removed it yeah, during pregnancy. Th- three months after childbirth, yeah. Right. It's rather unusual, but yes, the gallbladder normally, the bile goes from the liver into the gallbladder and the gallbladder concentrates the bile so that you don't lose too much uh, fluid Mm. when the bile is uh, excreted. And what happens is that the bile duct and the pancreatic duct come together to go into your duodenum and that's where the sphincter of body is and both the bile and the pancreatic juice have to pass through this sphincter. As for why the sphincter is spasming, it may be due to the fact that you've had this gastric sleeve and the odd hormone production there. So you've got a number of things working at once and the fact that the liver is inflamed could be both because of the backup of bile causing irritation, but it could also be to something entirely separate. Mm. It may be inflammation due to what they call Fitzhugh-Curtis syndrome, but not due to the usual cause. It may be some other uh, infection or inflammation that's caused this. It's very odd what's going on. Mark, I've got to ask the question, and I don't want to sidetrack where we're at right now, Mm. but I've just got to quickly just ask, um, are these the sort of things that would have shown up had actual testing being conducted for these things because we know for a fact that there's basically no testing done. There was There's some very short-term testing but definitely no long-term testing and certainly not good testing. That's we right. We know this for a yeah. fact. It's come out of the documentation mm-hmm. with the Pfizer document release under the Freedom of Information Act. We know this for a fact. So. That's right. It's it's very difficult to say here because the problem is when you've got previous conditions like the gastric sleeve and hypothyroidism, when you start giving people jabs, mandating it for everybody, you're going to make people terribly sick and this is going to lead to further complications that uh, doctors are going to have great difficulty diagnosing. I'm still wondering what is the underlying cause of this liver problem. It may even be something like Bud Chiari syndrome with blood clots there, but I think they would have tried to rule that out with CAT scan and also with the D-dimers. Yeah. And although things have settled down since, clearly she has uh, major issues that have to be uh, corrected and, and diagnosed properly. 
Right. So what next? Um, did, um, so what, pretty, what, what much they, pretty much they diagnosed me with a sphincter of body. Yep. And then they decided to try me on a drug called amitriptyline. Now that's an antidepressant, but it's also used for muscle relaxant. Um, so I trialed that. Um, they sent me home. The, hang on. The idea is to get this um, sphincter to uh, relax. To relax. Mm. Yeah. And um, so they didn't actually pump your stomach or anything like that. No, I just kept vomiting. Um, so they kept putting fluids in me, and they kept and giving kept me anti-nausea medication, antiemetics, and um, I just kept vomiting. But your stomach's full of bile, Mark. Is this something that well, they would normally would they normally do this? Not normally. If the fact the stomach is full of bile indicates the bile is backtracking up to the stomach yeah, from yeah. the sphincter of body. Now I'm not sure about amitriptyline. I'm very familiar with amitriptyline. It's an old-fashioned uh, tricyclic antidepressant. It does tend to improve your digestion, but I don't know whether it would work in such a situation since I have been out of medicine for many decades. Yeah, but it's starting to sound to me like um, like we've already discovered. I keep going back to all mm. the different interviews that yeah. we've done where um, we we know that there's uh, uh, many situations where these uh, doctors just don't know what's going on and they start like they clutching, prescribe. At, clutching mm. at straws. Yeah. I think it's a good yeah. word for it. So what um, they did was, yeah, they, they prescribed me with the amitriptyline. Mm. Um, they, they said it was a muscle relaxant and I have heard of it. I know it's an antidepressant. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, then there's also uh, pantoprazole which is um, use it for gourd syndrome, which I was diagnosed with gourd. Um, so that was another issue. That's a reflux disorder. Okay. Gastroesophageal reflux And this disease. is it, it going back to the backup of bile. So, yeah, they think that that's why I was vomiting all the time. So And then I must admit when they put me on the pantoprazole, that did solve the gastritis and the gourd symptoms. So I'm on quite a high dose of that now. I'm on 80 milligrams. And, and that has worked. That has given me some relief. Like I've finally gone two weeks now without vomiting. Um, look, I, my mind keeps going back to every time you tell me about another drug that you're on, <laughs> my, my mind goes back to the issue that you had uh, from this timeline <laughs> several months earlier where they, y- your body's had a reaction to the massive amounts of chemicals that's mm. been put into you. Have you continued to have these issues? Um, with some drugs, yeah, wait for it. Um, <laughs> okay, okay, we're getting to that. The, um, so with the pantoprazole, I had that after my gastric sleeve surgery and I was on that for about eight weeks and and um, that was just to settle everything down because it's such a major surgery. Yeah. So I'd been on it before so I wasn't worried about taking it again mm-hmm. um, and there isn't really a natural alternative that I've found that can fix the gourd. But I have I have to admit that it, it has stopped my reflux issues and it did it did stop the bile problem the vomiting, right. um, and with that I just take ginger now as well just to combat the nausea. Right. Um, the amitriptyline. The first week I didn't notice anything. Um, my husband said I went very quiet, and we think that could have been a serotonin um, syndrome happening, which is where you overdose on serotonin. I just went very quiet, withdrawn, shut down. Then the second week they told me to increase the dose 
Um, so I increased the dose within three days. I started having suicidal thoughts and meltdown. So hang on. Um, when you, you said just before an overload of serotonin, Mm -hmm. I thought that, uh, serotonin was what made you feel good. Yes. It so does. what's yeah. happened is you, you're on Went a the ser- opposite way. Yeah, because you, you're yeah. on a serotonin reuptake inhibitor. And it was because it was interacting with my other antidepressants, which I was on too. Oh, my gosh. And they didn't take that into account. That's and they also didn't therapy. They didn't take into account the other PRN medications, which I'm on for anxiety. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Amitriptyline usually takes two weeks to work when it was mm. given for depression in the past. And when you withdraw from it, You'd also you have to wait for two weeks to see if the patient have terrible reactions. Yeah, yeah, and and when they up the dose on the on the second week, I was only three days into the second week of an increased dose, and yeah, I had suicidal thoughts. I had to actually ring my psychologist and say I need to I need to stop taking this medication. Um, when I told her, I, I had an emergency appointment with her, and. I told her what was going on and I was acting erratically, like I was pacing the room, I was full OCD going on, um, like I was yeah, just reorganising her office because it was it was untidy, you know, but yeah, things no, but weren't in just, order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I couldn't talk in full sentences. I was just giving her very short, sharp answers, whereas before I'd talk comfortably with her like I am with you guys, a normal yeah. conversation. Yeah. And she just said, this is not good. Um, when I showed her the packet and she looked at it and she looked at the dose and she was just like, no, we need to get you off this now. And God, but isn't it when you when you stop taking serotonin reuptake in Oh, yeah, the come that's down. That's extremely dangerous. I had to come. We tried to decrease it, but because I was already at that high stage mm. so quickly, um, the decreasing didn't work. So I said to her, what if I just go cold turkey? And she goes. No, no, no. She said, you can only do it when you're home with your husband because he's going to need to watch you because you could still go suicidal. Mm. And she said, I don't want to see you end up back in the psychiatric ward because mm. I've I've had a number of stays in the psych wards and it's not a fun place. It doesn't. Do hey, listen, I've got to ask you, I've got to ask you, when these people were starting to say, look up that dose, go under that higher level of dose, were any of these things described to you? Were they, were, no. Was it explained to you? No, it wasn't. Kerry, um, I'm going to make an assumption that um, you're now taking informed consent very, very seriously. Oh, yeah, I always mm. have. Yeah. You always have. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but it sounds like you've just fallen into this trap where you're now on, on this roller coaster ride of pills. Yeah, yeah. Pill it's junkie, like literally a walking chemist. Santa Claus with his, his, his Christmas sleigh, <laughs> but instead it's not presents, it's, it's, it's pharmaceuticals. You could shake me and I'd rattle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, gosh. They're, they're, they're too... Too happy to prescribe, I think, is the biggest problem in hospitals. Oh, too right. Um, yeah. Every time I've been to hospital, I've come out with a prescription and a lolly bag, and that's no lie. And mm. and we're talking heavy stuff, stuff that you, you don't really need. Oh, look, they're playing games with us, aren't they, Mark? That's um, right. I mean, the way they give Ritalin to children for depression and, mm. and autism, etc. and yet Ritalin's known to cause pulmonary arterial hypertension, yep. which can reduce your whole survival. And you can see in cartoon shows and things, they have the people popping pills all the time. Oh, that's which right. Which they didn't when I was little. And, yeah. um, you know, they, you know, now we're facing, um, you know, 
five-year-olds being told that they're, they're probably really a girl and there's all these just bizarre things. We are under attack. Oh, big time. Mm. We are under attack. That is true. Um, our government is, un, is attacking us, as is the media, as is the healthcare system. Mm. Uh, gosh, um, something I heard about just the other day that I needed to go and research a little bit more on, but um, I know that um, down in Quinana, so everyone, we're here in Perth, um, down in uh, just south of Perth is a place called Quinana, which is where all the, a lot of the water treatment goes on. Yeah. And uh, if you don't know about the fluoride issue, everyone, please let me explain it to you. They 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 pour just tons of fluoride, which is a, a, a chemical byproduct. But then what they do is they add in um, another chemical called hydrofluorosilic acid. Hydrofluorosilic acid. Hydrofluorosilic acid. Yep, yep. silicilic acid. That's it. Um, it's actually in your hair shampoo, believe it or not. Hey, do you, that well, that frightens me. I'm I'm glad I'm not using hair shampoo anymore, everyone. Um, as you can see, I don't use hair shampoo anymore. Um, but um, do you know that that they pour tons of that into the water supply as well? Do you know that that stuff eats through cement? Yes, it's a carcinogen mm. as well. It's a carcinogen and it makes the whole fluoride thing, which is that whole business of um, being good for your teeth, that's never it's, really been proven. That's a, that's a, it's a cover. That's another attack that we're under. So it doesn't matter where you turn, we're under attack. Um, I, 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 I got to make another point. Um, you know all these sugar-free products? Yeah. It's highly carcinogenic. Yes. It's um, – they, they – if, any, if, if people don't know this, I'm, I'm going to explain it to, to you. They take big vats of the E. coli bacteria and they pour in chemical waste and the E. coli bacteria shits out the sweetener. It's a thousand times sweeter than sugar on average. And that's what you're having in your cups of tea. Mm. It's literally a chemical waste. It's just frightening, isn't it? I have heard of that, yes. So as a person who's just under incredible attack, Kerry, where to next? This is So basically I had to go cold turkey off that stuff. I did it. Yeah. I chose to do it when my husband had his four days off. I well, basically, is four days enough, though? Yeah, he, does, he works ten days on, four days off. No, no, what I mean is, is um, four days to get off this stuff enough? It took three days to come down. The withdrawal was that quick and and that severe. Like I was violently vomiting. Um, it was like having morning sickness all over again. It sounds like you're you're going through the sort of come down that a junkie has. Oh yeah, it's almost like it's that. Like that. Yeah, and and you get that hangover from like when you've been out in an all night bender. You get that massive big headache and you just don't want to do anything. And I spent the day in, like, I spent three days in bed with a bucket. I've got to ask you, did you suffer any of the suicidal tendencies? Yes. Yep. My husband knows about this. We talk about this openly. Um, and I, I actually told him one day, I said, just take all the knives out of the house. And oh I God. said one day I just wanted to, I just wanted to slip my wrists and, is this because um, of um, the, the pain of all the vomiting and all that or is it more it's the pain of everything because the vomiting was triggering off my heart problems. Yeah. Um, I was in a tremendous amount of chest pain. I was having trouble breathing. The vomiting was just, it was just horrendous. It was like my throat was just red raw. Um, and, and just when you think you'd finished vomiting, 
you'd start vomiting more and you'd just be vomiting bile, more and more bile, and it was just coming up. And So these drugs weren't helping the bile no. situation anymore, so it all stopped. And because you had to go cold turkey, right? I had to go cold turkey, yeah. And the sweating, like the, the sweating was unbelievable. Literally you're sweating like you've got a fever but you don't have a fever. Yeah, it's just so, dripping in sweat and you're shaking. You get um you get the shakes like really really bad. Um you know how you get the alcohol shakes or when you mm. haven't had a coffee. You got the DTs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um it's like that. And right. and but you're doing it all day long and yeah, yeah. you can't get warm. You just you just cold and just sweating and So you went for 3 days of this. Yeah. Um, can I ask, where's the bile issue at right now? Have you ended up on another drug to no. try and combat that? No. It's just resolved itself, no, has just it? just on the pantoprazole and ginger. That's it. Okay. And yeah. so you're still vomiting regularly? Um, no, I've actually gone, I've actually, since I've been taking a full teaspoon of ginger and um, ginger and horseradish supplements, yep. I've actually gone two and a half weeks without vomiting. Mm. It's the first time I've had relief. Very good. And, Fantastic. And it was actually a herbal a herbalist that put me onto that. Um, I, I'm, I'm imagining if there are any doctors listening to this, I'm imagining them going, oh, that's bullshit. It works. Trust it works. me. Yeah. The, ginger, the ginger worked mildly during my, um, my pregnancy and I thought, okay, I'm going to go back to it again. Yeah, just um, up it. I even ate ginger nut biscuits. Yeah. And, I mean, they're pretty strong for a lot of people. Some people yeah, think yeah. they taste like crap. Yeah. But um, but I actually nibble on them, and that's what keeps the food down. And and I've found that um, with the with the gastritis, I found if I don't eat high fatty foods as well, because without a gallbladder you can't eat high fatty foods. Mm. Um, so I've limited that now, and and I've found things are a lot better that way. Um, wow. I've also gone on to a. Uh, the gastroenterologist put me onto a um, low FODMAP diet as well because they thought I might have had um, celiac or gluten oh, yes. intolerance and they thought yeah. that could have been upsetting my, my tummy yeah. um, because the symptoms are very the same. Yeah. And then they thought, oh, maybe it's irritable bowel. So I'm I'm still being we're still under watch for that at the moment. Right. I still get bouts every now and then and we can't put it down to a particular food, but the bleeding the bleeding has stopped um, through um, I took the transemic acid again and we managed to stop the bleeding. Bleeding from your abdomen? Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, we ruled out cancer. They just found like really large hemorrhoids and stuff, so they've just been treating me with a hemorrhoid medication and then the gastritis medication. So. Okay. So does that bring us through to February this year? Um, yeah, that brings us through to February, yeah. So you, this is this is the um, after the gynecological investigations yeah. and things like yeah. that. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. So I got into I got into the cardiologist in January. Yeah. And four hundred dollars for a less than ten minute consult. I find a bit of an insult. Just a little bit. Um, Wouldn't you love to go and charge people four hundred bucks oh, for ten minutes of your time? It was unbelievable. Like. Literally, we, we spent more time in the waiting room and she just looked over my thing and said, oh, you've just got a bit of an, um, an arrhythmia there. There's nothing to be worried about. Plenty of people get them. You'll live a long and healthy life and then prescribe me bisoprolol. Well, and that Mark, was it. jump in, yeah. Mark. 
Bisoprolol is uh, one of those old-fashioned beta blockers. They're given to uh, slow the heart rate and reduce blood pressure. And that was the answer that they had for your bl- internal bleeding? That was um, for on. my heart problem. Just? Yeah. So that, that was it, just a 10-minute 10 10 minute chat. None of the effects of what the bisoprolol would do. She just told me it was a beta blocker for the heart. Mm. Um, and at that point she hadn't even discussed the valve regurgitation or anything like that. Um, she she assumed I may have had myocarditis but there was nothing indicating it. Okay. So, yeah. I have to point out at this point the fact that you said you had the regurgitation, that's regurgitation of the mitral and tricuspid valves. That would indicate to me that you must have had some sort of myocarditis because the heart has uh, grown in size pathologically and allowed this incompetence to occur because the muscle's not beating properly. Now, I know that the troponin, the thing that measures myocarditis, was not positive and so Mm. they could diagnose periodontal pericarditis, but the pericarditis will cause the, um, uh, the, which is a membrane around the heart, that Mm. will swell and that will give rise to a lot of the chest pain you've had. So just on the story about the, uh, and the the evidence for the tricuspid and mitral valve incompetence, I'd have to say that you have myopericarditis, though I accept that the doctor may just call it pericarditis, but it sounds like she's made very light of your problem. Yeah, basically in 10 minutes, that was it. She didn't want to answer any of my questions. I also asked her about a, a um, exemption from the booster and she said a flat out no. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, no. Nah. That's because they're uh, forbidden by the AHPRA, Australian Health Professionals Regulatory Authority, from issuing um, uh, exemptions from boosters. I mean, if they do that and uh, somebody else reads it, they can be reported to a HIPAA and if it happens more than twice, they'll be carpeted or they'll be threatened once and then they'll be uh, deregistered afterwards. So they've uh, got the doctors trapped over a barrel there. Yeah, they do. They, By the way, APRA is a foreign body. Mm-hmm. Um, it's controlled by the who, um, so yeah. Can, her who off. her response t- uh, to that was um, basically that I'd just try a different vaccine for the next one, right. and I laughed. I'm like, you think I'm going to go back for a third after this? And she goes, well, it's been mandated. You've got no choice. That was her reply. I know, isn't it incredible? (laughs) It was disgusting. You've got no choice. Mm. The government tells you that you have to take an experimental jab. I'm not going to use that V word. It's not. It's not. Um, It's they changed the language. So let's Mm. get that straight. But you don't have any choice. Mm. You got to take that thing. That was her words. Uh, I'll just excuse you. Was this person Chinese? this cardiologist. She was, as a matter of fact. Right. I wanted to bring that up because the word mandate is not a word I used to come across commonly in English, but where you'd find it is in reference to Chinese philosophy and Chinese religion. Because they don't have the idea of a monotheist god like Western uh, 
religion does. Yeah. Yeah. They have the notion which is called the mandate of heaven. Yes. In other words, what the gods decide is the best for you. And the mandate of heaven is not something that's forced on people. It's something that you as an intelligent person should obey, yeah. the mandate of heaven. So she should know the real meaning of the term mandate. A mandate is a request for compliance. Mm. It is not a government order. Yeah, that's correct. I have heard of that. That's the first time I've heard of that. Thank you, Mark. It's very um, interesting. We have a lot of interesting things that come out on this series. Um, look, um, now we're in February 2022. Yep. No, we're in March 2022. We're in March. we're in March. And let's cut to the chase. You took the booster, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I was. I went for a number of job interviews trying to get back in the workforce after being a stay-at-home mum for two years and every single job I was going for that I have experience in, they had put this booster into place that, you know, all you those know, industries yeah. and I couldn't get around it. You're I couldn't find a job. You get it. Hey, yeah. I've got to ask you, um, you, you know, you've just been in and out of hospital for the last six months at this stage, if not longer, and um, you, you're now going to go and take this other one. What was your state like at that? Like, what was your was your body in control at that point? Were you still um, experiencing all these heart problems? And yeah, I was. Yeah, I was pretty bad well, still. I, I, I'm just trying to get my head around why you would go and take another jab at that point. I was desperate to go back to work. Um, yeah. I was desperate to because at that point the medical bills we were we were sitting on $13,000 worth of medical bills oh my at that stage gosh um it's all the all the scans and everything like my medicare medicare safety net was over the top and I'm gonna ask so Mark I had a lot of things out of pocket Mark McGowan are you going to come out and pay that $13,000 oh it's more than that now <laughs> so I bet I bet it's a lot more we're than that we're up to 33,000 now and and, and my you and husband, husband are is trying to pay for this on a single income, as well as the roof over our head, you know, and and then you know our private health insurance. We've got top health insurance, but not even that would cover some of this. Well, you know what I mean. Again, um, I've got to point it out to you that um, the more you look into this, the more you'll find that all of the systems, like for example, if you um, needed to go and get onto. Uh, Centrelink, what is it called, like a, a, a payment, a, um, yeah. a government um, social welfare is the word I'm trying to think of. Yep. You've got to jump through all kinds of hoops and that job's going to take you around six months to get done. Meanwhile, you're going broker and broker and broker for this thing that was mandated. Yeah. And, and <clears throat> with that, I tried to seek assistance with Centrelink to get a um, – uh, the social um, assistance and also a possible disability pension because of my mental illness mm. and um, I, I couldn't get it because you don't I was qualify. told my husband earns too much. Yeah, you don't qualify. He earns $10,000 too much um, and we don't have enough assets so they can't go by the assets test. And, and so when they went by his wages, I was like, yeah, but we don't see all his wages because we've got debts we're paying off. That's right. And once we pay our living expenses, there's virtually nothing left but about 200 bucks a fortnight. 
you know. Gosh, Carrie, um, um, have you established like a GoFundMe or something like that that you'd like to bring mm, up right now? No, I, I don't really want to. I don't really want to go for a GoFundMe. I don't think there's there's people out there that are far worse than me. Like there's there's people trying to fund cancer treatment and stuff yeah, like that. I think yeah. it's better off for them. Yeah. Um. I mean, I I'm think just, Mark McGowan should pay your bills. I think he should too. Yeah. Um, and get Twiggy Forrest or somebody's got a bit oh, more yeah. money than himself. Yeah, yeah. Twiggy, who's um firmly stands behind his position on this. Yeah. Um. Like I I think um you know we've we've managing um things are tight with only the one income um. Despite being so sick, I have tried to go back to a casual job or even just part-time. Yeah. But um, because of the hospital stays, you know, that's going to cost any job that I do get. No one's going to want to employ someone so sick and someone mm. that could collapse on the floor at any moment. It's a health issue it's, yeah, and it's yeah. a safety issue. I'm not fit enough to be in a workplace. Yeah, and I that's can... what this has got to. Yeah. Um, like now... Now I'm I'm very soon I'm not going to have a driver's license because that's going to be suspended because of not just the heart condition but neurological on top of it. Yeah, so let's get into that. Um, yeah. We've got to move along with this. So you've taken the Novavax yeah, so, to, to try and get a job. So I, tr I, as sick as I was, I thought, okay, if I can just get shelf stocking or something at Coles or whatever, um, I even looked into Audi. I, I looked into just just driving or yeah. something, you know, Always. delivering goods yeah. um, for Australia Post, which I'd done before. Um, just just a little job. Just yeah, to those, help get those sorts by. of jobs, yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, when I went for an interview, they were like, oh, have you had the booster? And I went for six interviews in one week and that was the same question at every single interview. Have you had all three COVID shots? And these were all, these were four different types of industries that I went for these interviews with. Yeah. And, and I was like, no, and I don't plan on getting it because I've been so sick from the first two. Mm. Straight away, interview terminated. Not good enough, is it? You know, they don't want to know. You didn't submit to a, um, an experiment upon the masses. Mm. Yeah. So I said to my husband, I sat down and I talked with him and I said, what do I do? And he said, go and talk to the GP. So I booked an appointment with the GP. She told me, how about the Novavax? That one's been deemed safe. There's no mRNA in it, blah, blah, blah. Let's just point out that, again, deemed safe without any <laughs> proper testing. Yes. That's right. And the spike protein in the Novavax has grown up in moths and it is more lethal, more toxic than the ordinary spike protein. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so she gave me the whole spiel about the safe and effective, mm. um, you know, and then she even threw in, she even threw in the same, oh, you're going to get your flu vaccine this year. And I said, oh no, I'm not. God. I said, I'm not ever having a flu vaccine ever again. I said, I got it last year and then two weeks later I got the flu and it put me in hospital. So I said, no more vaccines. So she said, well, you're going to have to get one because they've mandated it and you're not <sighs> going to be able to go anywhere without it. Do you still go to this doctor? <laughs> no. No, oh, yeah. I've actually reported her to APRA. Good on you. And Good nothing you. was done. Yeah, of they, course it would They have. probably sent her a letter of praise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the way Commendations, yes. commendation, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I I ended up going to get the third one at, um, at a chemist and I sat there for about half an hour 
um, waiting for something to happen. Like I was so nervous. What um, you were expecting to have an adverse reaction. I was reaction. expecting something to happen. I thought this is a different drug to the other two. Was this I'm normal... mixing these. What the hell's going to happen? Oh my God. That's, it's it's fr more frightening beyond words. Um, were you just, was this just simply at a, uh, just a GP surge? It was in a chemist. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so they're not going to have an ambulance on standby. No, no doctor. They no, they just they just come every ten minutes and just say, Are "You okay?" They pop mm. their head around the corner. Are you okay? And then they'll come and check your temperature. They'll check your blood pressure. Um, safe um, and effective. And and then out the door in half an hour. Safe and effective and completely normal adverse reactions. That means that it's working, Carrie. Yeah. Um. Didn't even get home ten minutes down the road from this chemist, like I walked in the door and the headache hit oh. and it was like someone had just hit me in the back of the head. Okay, before we go any further, I always ask this question, did you sign a waiver? Um, no, not at the chemist. I don't remember signing any forms. Were the, um, were the implications of taking this explained to you? Were, were no. you consulted at all? Was there any kind of advice given? Were you asked for your in, informed consent? Did you sign anything? I was asked for my consent for it to have the injection. Just verbal? Um, yes, just verbal. That was uh, it. So how, did they record that? Uh, yes, they recorded it on a on a sheet of paper and then they put the the batch number and all of that Hang on, on the minute. same what paper, I mean the is, time, the date, everything. What I mean is when they asked you for your informed consent, you said, yes, I give it, but there was no sign off. It was just verbal. There was, was no verbal consent. Was there an audio recording? No. So there's no record of you giving your informed consent? No. Do you know that by law? They are supposed to give informed consent because it's a medical procedure. Yep, and you need to sign something yep. that, that says that you've um, given your informed consent. Yeah, and I didn't. Yeah. Uh, Whereas when I went to Claremont Showgrounds for the other two Pfizer's, I had to sign a form. Yeah, let's But uh, I was not given any information on what was in those injections. There was There's no ingredient list. You're not given any um, sheet of paper with the um, – the risks and benefits and also the um, the symptoms of anaphylactic or, or um, adverse reactions you might and, get. And that's right. And that's why I'm asking you, did you sign a waiver? Because what no. they're actually saying to you is sign here. If anything goes wrong, it's not our fault. Yeah. Yeah. So, no, I never signed a waiver. It was a verbal consent. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, so basically had the jab i got a sore arm that was about it and then yeah when i got home i got the headache and it was it was more like it was more like a migraine um and how did that progress it worse i lost my vision over um, how what time what period of time within an hour i couldn't stand being in the bright light like i had to shut all the blinds in the house so the house was pitch black um because it was late afternoon and it was about I think it was about three in the afternoon. You know, this is another very common symptom, don't mm, you, that's coming yes, out? Yes, I've yeah. been told this. Yeah. Um, I started feeling nauseous, the vertigo started, and then I thought, okay, I'm going to do what I did last time, Panadol, bed, bottle of water. So I just blacked out, made the house totally quiet, 
went and slapped it off. And then about probably about 12 hours later, um, I had a violent vomiting episode. I was covered in sweat again and... Were you starting to panic at this stage? Yeah, I was. Was your husband here? Um, no, hubby was away. He was due back uh, two days after. Was so. your child with you? Yes. Yep. Gosh. And I had to put him bed to bed early that night. I ended up putting him in the same bed with me so I could keep him close. Do you have family that live nearby or anything like that? Just friends, a couple of friends. Did you have anyone come around and no. check on you or anything like that? So you could have potentially died. I didn't actually tell anyone that I was going to get the booster except my husband. I was quite <sighs> embarrassed about it. Was your husband frightened for you or worried about this? He'd had his Pfizer shot and he had all three Pfizer's and no reactions. So he was he was like, hopefully you'll be fine after this one. Um, but he was just like, I really think, I really think, you know, we need to be careful here. Um, and I was the same. I said to him, I'm worried something's going to happen. This is not. And, and then, so this is why you took. a gut feeling the, that I knew something was going to happen. This is why you took the untested Novavax. Mm, and at that time, I didn't know it was untested. Mm. Um, I, I had read a little bit about it in the UK. Yeah. Um, I just want to make the point for anyone who's listening and they're going, oh, hang on, that's a bit much untested. Proper testing takes eight to ten years. Sorry, yes. it's untested. It is. Okay. It's. It's. Um. I think it was only in the first stage of the clinical trial. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, yeah. Mark, uh, did you want to add anything? Yeah, to because the, we didn't have COVID till a couple of years ago. So how could they have uh, proper vaccinations ready already? They'd had it in advance because they planned this. Yeah, and I think that's something that's going to come out. We they don't want to. We, we don't want. They actually registered them in two thousand and nineteen. Yeah. We look um, again. Another one of the conspiracies, not a theory. These are facts, and something else that's going to be investigated. I mean, can you imagine how long we're going to be going through these investigations mm -hmm. for? Yeah. Potentially. 20 years, 20 years, maybe, yes. maybe more, um, because this is a diabolical, a diabolical thing that's been done here. And, and it's the, worldwide. It's worldwide and the orchestrators of this need to be held to account. Yeah. And I think that no matter how much, how powerful these people are or how safe they think they are from this, I think we're going to see a revolutionary moment. It's It'll Not be like, calling um, for violence, anyone. But like this another is what's Nuremberg trials. Well, we, we, we're going to have another <laughs> Nuremberg trial. That's right. And Mr McGowan and others will have to keep their friends close and their cyanide capsule closer still. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. So keep keep going. Because yeah. So when I got that, I slept it off for a day um, and um, basically I got up the next morning and felt normal, like nothing was wrong the headache had gone and I thought okay this is good got up and I put the kettle on and um it was it was probably about eight o'clock in the morning at this stage my first cup of coffee and I went to grab my cup of coffee and I couldn't um close my hand my hand had like completely just just frozen up like I couldn't close my fingers it was like it was paralyzed yeah, right. Um, and and I was like, um, I thought, okay, this is not going to happen. So I got a straw out of the cupboard and I thought, oh, you know, I got these symptoms again. And um, 
So I got a straw out of the cupboard and started drinking my coffee with a straw and then my throat started closing up like I was having trouble breathing and, and trying to swallow. Mm. Um, and I thought, well, this is unusual. And then all of a sudden just got this wave of nausea came over me and I just power chucked coffee everywhere. And I thought, okay, I'm going back to bed. And then um, I think what happened was um, um, I don't know, something happened when I was asleep but I kicked the crap out of our son when he was he was still asleep and he woke up and he punched me one as he, as he do, you know. He's yeah. like, Mum, you kick me, I'm going to punch you. Um, and then um, I remember him trying to wake me up and I was just – disorientated it was like I didn't even know I was in our own bedroom a little two-year-old boy I didn't know I, I had to look at him and go where did you come from to our own son and you didn't know, you, sorry you didn't recognize him. didn't recognize him it was like just blank um like I had no recollection of where I was that I was actually at home um and and um I went to get him breakfast and I thought, I'll get out of bed. But hang on, you brekkie. still didn't recognise who he was? No, no. Nah, nah. But you were thinking for some reason. I couldn't even had... remember his name. But you, for some reason you were thinking you would make him some food. Yeah, I thought it's that, it's that maternal instinct. Yeah, yeah, you know, there's you, something and going it's on It's a routine, there, yeah. you do it every morning, you make him brekkie and whatever. So I went and got his Cocoa Pops out of the cupboard and I was like, um, I know it's your dinner time. Um I went to get him Cocoa Pops and I was like, I just stood there like staring at the shelf and I was trying to move but I couldn't move my legs. It was like I was glued to the spot and I was like, oh, my God, you know, and he's gone into the pantry and tried climbing up the shelves and I've just gone to instinctly stop him and I couldn't move my hands. It was just like they were paralysed and glued to my sides. Um, Mark, what's going on here? What's going on there is that the brain is dysfunctioning in certain ways. Things that, where you're recognising specifics like your son's name are missing and you uh, know instinctively in the basal ganglia and the lower parts of your brain you've got to protect him from falling, etc. but you can't actually do specific tasks that you want to be able to do like pouring milk and putting out the cocoa pops mm. and that indicates to me that there is some sort of blood clotting and it's threatening to cause uh, small infarcts or partial blocks in the brain or triggering migraine attacks which are causing the uh, smaller arteries to shut down and not supply the brain properly. They're the various things I'd be thinking of at this moment. Yeah, so Carrie, what happened next? So it was like, it was like my brain wasn't, wasn't engaging motion. Um, that's the only way I can explain it. So I stood there for a couple of minutes and then it was like I just snapped out of it and then suddenly I just started doing everything at an erratic pace. Um, like I poured his milk, gave him his bowl, told him to sit down in front of the TV. And, and then, well, your, um, your hands started working, did they? They were shaking really bad, like really, really shaking, like bad DTs. Yeah. And um, – and I noticed that um, my eyes were flickering as well. They were going side to side like I couldn't focus. Um, oh. And I still had a headache at this stage. Like I started getting another migraine. Like it started like a pain in the back of the eye and everywhere I was moving it was like blurred vision and I had no – I realised when I woke up I had no peripheral vision. It was just gone. It was like tunnel vision. 
And um, I rang my GP and I told her about this over the phone and she said, okay, we'll get you in for an appointment. Um, and this was a new GP. And um, I couldn't get her so I ended up getting a, a male GP and he said to me, I think you've got something neurological going on. And he put the um, the light in my eyes and my um, my retinas weren't opening and closing like they, they usually retract. Yeah, of when course. you get a bright light, mm. they usually yeah. retract and go really small and they weren't right. reacting at all. Yeah. Um, and then I had trouble when he did the um, – oh, you'd put your nose, your hand on your nose and you do those touch yeah. Um, yeah. neurological tests and I couldn't do it. I struggled. You couldn't I, put your hand on your nose. Uh, I, it's, this is what they have. You I know. Close your eyes. And yeah, I yeah, know. Yeah, I know. And yeah. I was trying to touch his hand with one eye shut and I couldn't do it. I, I was seeing like three of everything. And then when he did my reflexes, we noticed that I had lower limb um, um it was like a numbness where I, I had lack of motion in my lower limbs and he said to me, I don't think you should be driving. And I said, well, I'm only going to drive down the hill to home. And it was when I was driving the car, thank God I've got an automatic um, because if I was changing a clutch and that, that, there was no on, way I would have been able to do it. That doctor allowed you to leave the He allowed me to go home. And drive a vehicle? Yes. Yep. It's that just, is, it's medical negligence. That is, oh. it's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's not. A, there's no duty of care there at all. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, he didn't. What? Um, like he didn't even ask me. Um, you know, about other issues I'd been having. Like I told him about the headaches, how they were mm. becoming constant and mm. um, and not going away. Mm. And I said, and and it was. It was doing my vision and I was getting shaky and I said, um, I'm getting like brain fog all the time. And he just dismissed it. He just said, oh, maybe you're just really stressed out with trying to raise a boy on your own while your hubby's away. Here we go again. And yeah. I was like, I'm like, I'm not stressed at all. I said, I've been sick, but I said, I'm not stressed. And he just like totally blew me off. Sure. And, um, and then... The following week, like I just kept battling. Um, it was one point hubby was home and I started talking like I was drunk and I was trying to walk around the house and my leg was just not moving. Like I was trying to walk and it was like I was dragging my leg and it just wouldn't work. I tried to bend my knee. I tried to focus on it. Um, and there was um, we, I was sitting on the floor playing with my son. We were playing Lego and couldn't coordinate my hands to put the Lego blocks together. Yeah. Like I couldn't close my fingers properly. I couldn't grab, I'd go to grab something and I'd, you know, I'd I'd go to close my hand and I'd be opening it instead. The opposite were you way. going, were you starting to, like, was your brain starting to get into, were you starting to panic a little bit or was I it? I was and I, th I was thinking I was going mad. Yeah, I no, really was. Yeah, because I'm, I'm sort of imagining that like, um, just getting your thoughts straight might have been difficult at this point. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Um, I do have dementia that runs in our family. My niece right. had dementia and um, she suffered quite badly with it. Um, and my husband said I was almost like her, having five different conversations in a 10-minute period. Oh, my gosh. And he said I was forgetting things um, a lot, like I'd, I'd put the like I'd go to make a coffee and I'd forget to turn the kettle on. 
yeah, simple yeah, things that I yeah. do every day. Right. Or I'd go to, um, oh, like I'd, um, like I was totally out of whack with my routine. I was doing everything backwards. Yeah. So what happened? Where where did that progress to? Because I so, believe you started having more heart issues. Yeah, I started having um, the heart palpitations picked up and got worse. Um, they were how within what time frame of taking the Novavax? Probably within two weeks. And I mean, Mark, jump in here if, if you if you can. But um, I'm starting to imagine a situation where you've, you're getting this build up of of issues that's right you've already got You're a compounding hyper, yeah. that's right you've yeah. got a hypercoagulable tendency already from having the two pfizer jabs and now it's been complicated with the novavax jab and we're now in unusual territory people with mixed jabs have made this toxic muck in the first place now they're mandating mixed jabs for people and are creating a worse crisis over and above what we have already. Yeah, the attack yeah. just continues, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so tell me a little bit about that because, Carrie, for a lot of people, um, I think they may have seen your Facebook post. Yeah, it's pretty horrendous but I um, had to video it. I had to video yeah. what was actually happening because no one was believing me, not mm. even family. Yeah, now this is the same video that was reposted by Gerard Rennick, Senator yes. Rennick from Queensland. Yeah. Um, I, that's what I saw. Um, look, honestly, I think I saw it four or five days ago and, um, immediately we started trying to reach out to yeah, you. Yeah. Um, the, I, I'm sorry to say that, um, I'd received an email with a link to your video, maybe two or three days before, and I just missed it. I, yep. And I, I just did what I do sometimes where I, I sit down and go, I better just go through and just check up on things. And I found that email, watched your video straight away and just went, my God. In that video, you were shaking. Yeah. And you, you looked a lot worse than you do today. Yeah, you, that was a bad day. That was a really bad day. I yeah. have good and bad days. And you were saying to me earlier that you had a shaking session. How often does it go, does it come on? Um, it'll just start out of the blue. It just suddenly starts and it can be both hands or one hand. It can be my legs as well. And this is all associated these, to these neurological issues that you're yeah, having. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it literally started in a week. Like one week I woke up, I was fine. The next week I woke up and I started having all these problems. And, and where are you at with this today? Uh, still waiting to see a neurologist. So you've got you've had in this whole time you've had no answers or no one look at you to um, kind of start to try and find out some explanations as to why this is occurring. Well, when I um, so I've had I've had four falls at home now um, since these neurological symptoms started, and it, it's always the same. I get I get chest pain and I start stumbling like I'm drunk. Right, so you know um, what you know when it's coming on. Yeah, yeah, right. and and um, I start getting disorientated, vertigo, um, dizzy, um, get nauseous. The chest starts racing, and then it's like my legs just start. I've got to lay down because my legs have just gone numb, and then then all of a sudden they just black out. Um, and, and I'd like to add that one of those times you blacked out, it was just you and your child here and your, your little boy was pushed. Twice. Twice. Twice it's happened. Your, your little boy has found you just collapsed on the floor yeah. twice. Yeah. Yeah. He wakes me up. He's like, mummy, 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 wake up. He said he was rocking your head. Yeah. 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 
Gosh, um, I mean, it's horrifying. Um, Mark, can you um, offer some sort of insight into what's going on here? Yes, it's fairly obvious what's happening. She's already had the heart disease as proven by the uh, comments by the cardiologist and the fact of the uh, mitral and tricuspidin incompetence and the pericarditis. But what's happened now was her poor cardiac function has now been coupled by a further degeneration in in the uh, clotting system causing these uh, brain symptoms and the reason she's getting these faints is because she's got a combination of the heart problems since you described the chest pain coming on before you fell and uh, the blackouts what they call syncope and then you suddenly lose consciousness and fall flat and that is a very dangerous thing since you could be because i've hit my head twice now and and are you still at risk of this occurring yeah every day Oh they it's haven't horrifying. found out what's causing it. Yeah, you perhaps have to get a helmet, like a like a cyclist helmet. What about a crash helmet? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's not a silly idea. Right. I mean, I mean, I mean, particularly Kerry, when um, I mean, you you know what's gonna, you know, when it's coming mm. on now, don't you? So. Yeah. The first thing I do is I sit straight on the floor it's, because yeah. I know if I'm gonna fall, it's only gonna be so far. Well, yeah, absolutely. When the symptoms start coming on, how long have you got before you're gonna pass out? Do you do you know? Not even a minute. Sometimes Shit, 30, so it just hits you. Thirty seconds, it just hits me like a freight train. Now, what happens if um you're here with your little boy and there's something going on and you suddenly have one of these? You just sit down and there's nothing I can do about it. Like basically, the the two times that he's been home with me, I've been by myself and I don't know how long I've been out for. Um, you know, there's there's no one else to call an ambulance. No one else is going to know. Yeah. To come around and check on me. Have you thought about um, some sort of way? I mean, you, I know your little boys too, but is there some sort of way that you can, um, I don't know. what, what uh, if For little boys, it, if he knows it's happening. Oh, okay, so you're, you have the iPhone. Full uh, protection you, on, on my Apple Watch, yeah. Um, have you, I think with um, those sort of products, with the smartphones and all that, you can um, actually rig up, you can use an app to rig up um a scenario where if this happens, do that yeah. so that you're... so this Apple Watch that my hubby got me, we had a nurse in hospital actually advise us to get one yeah. instead of or a full pendant alarm like they do for the nursing homes. Yeah. They, the, um, it detects if you've been at a certain angle for a certain amount of time and then it will call an ambulance oh, or it will good. call one of your next of kin. Okay, so that's And if that's it doesn't working? get to a next of kin, it will call an ambulance. We haven't tried it yet. Hopefully, oh, you haven't thought you haven't thought about doing some testing just to check it out. We've accidentally called an ambulance, okay, and we had to ring up and get it cancelled. Oh, okay, but you know, it works. This is while we were setting it up, yeah. And I got him to call call his mum, and and I called him when he was away one day. I said, okay, I'm going to trigger this off, and all I have to do is just press this and hold it in. Yeah. Um, but. If I'm unconscious, if I fall and I'm unconscious and I'm laying on the floor, if I don't deactivate it within a certain time, it yep. will go off. It, yep, yep, yep. So, oh, I'm, I'm tell you what, that makes me feel a lot yeah. better than now yeah. that I know that you've got this. I mean, I'm, yeah. I was starting to think I can't leave here today. That's right. Okay. We think you'll have to teach your little son to have a pillow he can put under your head when he knows. Well, it's later on, I'll be teaching yeah. him to dial triple zero and all of that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, he's just too um, young right now. He's too young. He yeah. knows that mummy's not well. Yeah. But it's 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 hard because I do. I do get stressed when my husband goes away. Okay, I, I know that. 
because the majority is that's happened is when he's been away. I just but not suddenly only that, have a he's, turn. When he's away, he's nowhere close. He's not no. going to be able to get. <laughs> he's like he's like two days drive away, Broome yeah. or Caratha yeah. or something. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was one point where I had two ambulances in three days. And he was he was just working around town, but where he was, he couldn't just drop everything and come, mm. you know. And the hospital, this is the other thing too, um, the hospitals don't ring your next of kin unless you're dead. <laughs> um, yes. All of my hospital stays, not one of them have rung my next of kin. Look, I, I I know there's some calls in the main in the when I say the mainstream media and in the, in the on the good side of the media that are saying that we need a royal commission into this. Oh yeah. I've got to be honest. I don't think that's going to go far enough. No, of course not. No. Because they always know the answer beforehand and they circumscribe what's being investigated. Yeah. 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 Like so. So yeah, there was one point where I'd collapsed on the floor and I I got a friend to take me to hospital. Mm. Um, sorry, I'm having speech problems. No, don't, um, don't apologise. Uh. Um, and, yeah, she dropped me off at hospital and um, they admitted me straight away because of my heart. And, um, yeah, for five days he didn't know where I was and he was trying to ring my mobile but Your my husband. mobile went flat How and long no ago? one rang him. How long ago was this? Um, this was in between, so um, just after after March, it was in April. Yeah, right. I had a hospital stay then, and it was only a short few and days. And you just disappeared, and your just husband disappeared. And what? Hang on, wasn't it your friend that took you to the hospital? Yeah. How come they didn't talk to you? So husband? she ended up dropping my son off with another family friend, and um, he he ended up looking after him. And it was only then that he rang my husband and told him that I'd gone to hospital. Um, and then when hubby got back a few days later, he came straight into hospital and they almost weren't going to let him in. And he said, no, I want to see my wife. She is not well. And she's been in this hospital numerous times and been sent home all the time. When are you guys finally going to do something? How yeah. bad does this have to get? I'm imagining a said, few expletives in that oh, conversation he, as well. He was swearing like a trooper. Yeah. And, um... He came in and he was like, why did no one ring me? He said, why do, do the hospital not ring your next of kin anymore? What's the point in having it if no one's going to yeah. call you? And what did they say? And they said, well, um, you should have got a call when she was down in emergency. So they tried should've, to pass the buck within the hospital. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I... the head nurse coordinator up in the ward, she got reamed because no one had called my next of kin to explain what was going on. And um, at that point I was a um, little bit incoherent from the pain medication they'd given me. Mm. So I was out of it. Right. Um, and, and he said, um, you know, he said, stuff this, I'm taking her home. And um, he said, you know, if you're not going to do anything about it, we'll take her to a different hospital. Because they weren't treating you, were they? Nah. They just had me on the ward for observation. <clears throat> that was it. I've got to ask you, um, look, we're, we're, I think we're just about at the end of the yeah. story there, but um, have you ever gotten all these friends of yours together and just had a meeting with them and letting them know exactly what's going on and, and sort of trying to set up a scenario where everyone knows what to do? Yeah, there's a few that know. We've got a plan in place. Okay. We're actually going to be doing a meeting. I'm going to set up a meeting with Department of Services, Child Services, so that 
because what happens is when you've got a child and you go to hospital, they take the child with you and then that child is separated from you when you get to hospital and they go into the care of an emergency carer. Until, so you need to have them nominated. Until a, until a family member can or next of kin can come and take that yeah. child. But in the event that my husband's away when this happens, mm. we've got um, five other people nominated and this is unofficially. So we've put right. our own plan into place but I, I've still been told by um, the department that I need to have something formal in place if something does happen so that, um, you know, that it's written on paper this yeah. is who we need to contact yeah. in case this happens. Yeah, look, um, um, I, I hope, Kerry, you can get that done ASAP. Yeah, yeah. Well, the yeah. other one is the um, because my memory and, and everything's starting to go, um, the neurological symptoms getting worse, um, we've now been advised to do an enduring power of attorney. Yes, um, so, so in case I can't um, communicate, um, my husband can act on my behalf. Mm. Look, um, this is all just so shocking. Um, look, I, I really wish you the best, Kerry, in this. I, I hope that you can get that sorted out. I hope your little boy is going to be okay. Yeah. Um, did you want to um, just just for the audience just just li list off uh, all of the issues that have been diagnosed? And and of course, I should point out everyone. Um, We've seen the paperwork. Kerry has lots of paperwork from the medical fraternity, but also you've been doing something that I think is incredibly smart. You've been keeping a daily diary of your symptoms. Yeah, from the get-go. From the first jab, I've kept a daily diary of all my symptoms, dates, um, conversations with medical professionals, names of medical professionals, Um and um, also like um, just events when events have happened, like when I've had collapses, when I've had to call an ambulance. Yeah. Look, um, I think that's really, really smart and I think that's great advice for anyone going through this. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. Because um, that antidote, basically that is evidence. Yes, and, that's right. And it's written evidence. And that's another aspect of this that we haven't really mentioned in the interview today is that this um, covering yourself legally and taking the precautions legally speaking is paramount in this environment of uh, gaslighting and yeah. and all this stuff. Uh, the uh, <laughs> everyone knows where I'm coming from here. You have to you you have to take your own precautions in every way. You got to cover your ass in every way. Mm. If you need help with that or you're not quite sure what to do, just start asking around and, and talking to people and don't be afraid of it because one of the things that I like to try and really push in these interviews is that, um, you know, we're all adults. Um, generally speaking, we all have a, a level of intelligence that enables us to live our lives. Yeah. You're not – it's different if you're somebody who can't look after yourself but – for, for God's sake, don't accept what the, the professionals say to you 
make sure that you're comfortable and happy with what they're saying to you. That means doing your own homework. Do your own research, yeah. Do your own research. Yeah. It's absolutely paramount. Do not accept. If you're not happy, if you don't feel good about it, you get a second opinion and, um, yep, the whole financial side of it, that's another issue altogether. But, yeah. again, um, get your friends and family around you. Um, the, the, the one thing that, um, they are t really trying to attack is the family. Oh yeah. The family unit. Mm. The family unit. So, um, everyone please go and start <laughs> forming those bonds with your neighbors. Get out there, say good day to each other. Let your neighbors know what's going on with you. A, a good question. Have you let your neighbors know? No, I've only just met someone. Oh, you've only just moved. <laughs> you've just literally moved a few days. Yeah. A few days ago. Right. Yeah. Okay. And that's a whole other story as well. Um, look, Curry, just to wrap up, yeah. did you want to just rattle off all of the the things that you've been diagnosed with um, right now? So basically since my last hospital stay in July, which was a month, um, they they diagnosed me with the um, functional neurological disorder. Um, they said, you know, trauma usually causes it, but, and mental health issues, but, um, I don't believe it. Yeah. Um, they also initially diagnosed me with myocarditis, but they've since changed that, uh, five cardiologists later, they've now diagnosed it as pericarditis and okay. then the regurgitation valve issue. Um, they've diagnosed a sinus arrhythmia as well. Um, and... Yeah, um, premature ovarian dysfunction. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, and then there's all the, the mild. Um, yeah, all the abnormal functionalities yeah, of the, the spleen. Yeah, the liver and spleen. Yeah. And so it's um, a hepatic liver, but it's it's slowly coming back to normal now. But I don't know what's going to happen since I've had COVID. Um, like, yeah, I, I don't know if things are going to change with being sick again. So because I have felt off the last couple of days. So yeah. Um, and I mean, COVID, it was, it wasn't that bad. I've had flus that were worse than that. Uh, we, we all know um, that it was a scamdemic. Um, yeah. But, so, yeah. um, yeah, so I've started getting tremors. Um, I believe I'm having like mini seizures as well because everything just locks up. I get a lot of brain fog. Mm. Um, I get a lot of muscle spasms and, and whole body muscle pain. Um, like I've been for a marathon rather um, and this just comes on out of the blue. Yeah, and yeah. this is where you're at today. Like this I said, is... I can have good days and bad days. Yeah. At the moment I feel like I've been for a 10K walk with the dog. Um, very, very tired all the time. I'm always fatigued but for some reason I just can't sleep at night. Yeah. Um, like I'm so tired I want to sleep all the time but at night time I can't sleep. It's like insomnia. Right. Um. Trust in the medical profession now has – it's I don't trust them at all, um, regardless of the fact I've got more referrals and more um, um, more tests to be done. Um, I just don't believe anything they're saying now. I don't trust them. And nor should you, and that's a sad state of affairs to be in. Look, Kerry, um, we've been going for well over three hours. Uh, thank you so much for everything you've you've done with us today yeah, um, yeah. 
I just I just feel that this is so important because there are so many people out there going through this and a lot of them feel really alone and they don't know where to turn. There are. There's a lot of – I've met a lot of people. Um, I've also seen a lot in the hospitals. When I've been in critical care, I've seen so many others coming in mm. with vaccine injury, like literally straight after their boosters mm. with the same symptoms and I'm like, oh, my God, yeah. another one. No wonder our hospitals are um, They're overwhelmed they're with overwhelmed. this and they don't know how to treat it because mm. these drugs, they don't know what effect it's doing to people yeah. and they've got no idea what to do because That's this right. is going to be on a – a global scale, it's going to overrun our medical system. Yeah. Um, you know, they're supposed to prevent sickness, but this is going to make a lot of people sick Worse. and it's going to cause a lot of deaths. Oh, look, we um, we could go on for another hour talking about that. Um, yeah. look, Dr. Mark, um, any final words from you? Uh, no, I think you've covered it all very, very well. I mean, I think that uh, anybody who ever uh, listens to this podcast will see that medical malfeasance is basically threatening genocide to the whole world's population if this keeps going. Yeah, it sure does. Well, yeah. look, um, with that, Carrie, thank you very much for being with us today. Um, Dr. Mark, thank you so much for being my co-host again on this Jab Injured series. Thank Your you. input is invaluable. Thank you so much. Um, everyone, I'll uh, turn around and face the camera. Uh, look, if you enjoyed this series um, and, and you have any questions um, in regard to anything you've heard today, please reach out to us in the comments. Uh Please like, share and subscribe. Um, sharing these interviews is of the utmost importance, uh, not just for me, very much so for all the, the people like Carrie out there and the people who are going through this and the people who are yet to go through it. So please like, share and subscribe or follow whatever it happens to be on the app that you're using. We are on all of the different podcast apps now. Um and again, if there's anything you'd like to find out more about, please let us know in the comments below. And with that, um, thank you for being with us today. And um, I can this time legitimately say good night. Bye.